I'm gonna show you something beautiful. Everyone screaming for mercy. You want to protect the world, but you don't want it to change. You're all puppets. Tangled in strings. There are no strings on me. Welcome to the spoiler-filled podcast uh, of Avengers Age of Ultron. With the Defenders reviewing the Avengers Defenders TV podcast episode 12. And we're here, our full Defender team assembled. I'm John, also known as the Iron Fist. I'm Chris, also known as Jessica Jones, but only on the weekends. I'm Irene of the Unbreakable Cage. And I'm Derek, your lawyer by day, defender by night. Welcome. We are here to review the Joss Whedon-directed flick Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, And what a film it was. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe slightly divided opinion here within the uh, studio. Dissension in the ranks. Dissension in the ranks and so on, possibly. Is it the beginning of Civil War? Is it the end of Hydra being phased out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for bigger bad guys? Remember, you can find the podcast at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. You can also uh, find us on any good podcast catcher, Stitcher, Player FM. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. Remember that this episode is spoiler-filled for Avengers Age of Ultron. So, you better leave now. And remember, come back and, of course, listen and enjoy the podcast as we have enjoyed this great Marvel extravaganza, Avengers Age of Ultron. Are we still there? Are we still there? (laughs) Good. So, I think we will begin our review, but we will also have some feedback from some of our listeners uh, right at the end who have... um, already watched this, like ourselves, um, because it opens slightly earlier in Ireland and the UK on the 23rd of April. Obviously, our American friends and Canadian friends, um, that's not released till the 1st of May. So in particular for you guys and gals, um, this will be filled with with spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Before we go into a review of uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, I just want to uh, give a quick shout out to a review we got on iTunes for our Defenders TV podcast. Uh, we got a review from uh, Arbitrary Genius, uh, who says, "Good new podcast, five stars." Got a five star rating, guys. Woo, woo. Thanks, Arbitrary Genius. So they say this podcast will cover the new Marvel Netflix shows Daredevil, aka Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, as well as the Defenders miniseries. It's a well thought out, clear talking, and they know the source material uh, as well as have a lot of love for it. Only have Daredevil to go on so far, but a good summary for the sh- of, of the show, overview of what's going on, and an interesting listen for fans of the show and those who want to know more about the upcoming Netflix shows. Thanks very much for that feedback. It's really good to hear from anybody that's interested in the show. Providing us with iTunes reviews always gives us a way to find another audience or a bigger audience for us. So if you're enjoying the show, please give us a review on iTunes. And thanks very much again to Arbitrary Genius. Yeah, thank you uh, so much. I think um, with that, it's on to our review of... Marvel's Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. So an easy one here, Avengers Age of Ultron. It was written and directed by Joss Whedon, the uh, the creator of Buffy, the creator of Angel, the creator of many characters that we all love, 
Firefly, Firefly, of course. Firefly. Firefly. Mm. Uh, Serenity, we'll mention that one too. Uh, he did the original Avengers, and obviously this is his uh, his final film in the uh, in the Marvel Universe. Is that confirmed? Yes, that is confirmed. Or is it just that he's stepping away from the Avengers? Nope, he's moving on from uh, from Marvel now. That's, uh, that is it. So he had, a, he had a six-year deal which covered all the TV shows, uh, which is involved in some of the casting and some of the picking of the back back-end team like the writers and directors that kind of stuff uh, he did that and he's done the two Avengers films and that's that's apparently Joss Whedon unless they can drive a truck full of cash up to his front door on that note John do you want to give us a synopsis for Avengers Age of Ultron sure while on a mission to Stokovia to clear a Hydra base controlled by Baron Wolfgang von Strucker to locate Loki's missing scepter the Avengers find the key to creating true artificial intelligence Tony Stark works alongside Bruce Banner to create the first sentient android named Ultron. This being quickly realises the world would be a better place without the humans, leaving it to our avenging defenders to destroy their creation and save humanity. So, with that, we'll take our five points as normal. Um, So, first off, Chris, what's your first point? Probably, for me, it's going to be another little Easter egg I found. Ooh, oh, um, We haven't discussed this before. After the opening battle sequence, mm-hmm. um, when everyone's kind of all around, we do see Cap with Sam Wilson. Yes. And there's a very quick piece there where, um, sorry, by those who don't know Sam Wilson, he was in uh, Winter Soldier. He plays the Falcon, mm-hmm. or he mm-hmm. is the Falcon, sorry. Um, and he talks to Cap. Uh, well, he first explains that why he isn't very much in this film. Because he says, I leave the avenging to you, that's your thing. Mm -hmm. Which is a nice nod that, yes, he's in the team, but not really, and he's around. Captain America asks him about the missing missing persons case, Mm -hmm. which I'm pretty sure, thinking about this more and more, this has to be about uh, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier. Soldier, Yes, that's right. Very good. Um, So, yeah, no, I just thought it was a a nice, because there was a lot of speculation about when... um, but will Bucky get into or be in this film? Mm-hmm. Um, he could be. He could have played a cameo. We know the original film is, what, three and a half hours long? Before <laughs> cut down to two and, two and a half? Yeah. Um, so I say 250, actually. 250, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, they, so we've still got about 40 minutes worth of untouched footage. That's right. Um, and that was not even to mention the, the, the uh, missing woman from the cave. Which, so that's gone, too. But, yeah, no, for me, that was a nice nod to... Uh, a Falcon being there and B Bucky Bucky Barnes, um, uh, Winter Soldier. So we still know he's out there, and we he probably going to play a part in Civil War. Yeah, definitely, definitely. After such a big film like Winter Soldier, which was the second biggest Marvel film of last year, but mm-hmm. unfortunately Guardians of the Gal- <laughs> Galaxy took that crown afterwards. Um, but after that, such a big film, not to even reference the the character would have been odd. So I'm delighted that you picked up the reference that they had a bit of a nod to him at least. That's really good. They tried the best they can to explain uh, in this film what had happened or gone previously. Mm -hmm. What did annoy me is suddenly, uh, at the beginning of the film, Iron Man is back. Mm -hmm. After retiring in Iron Man 3. Publicly doing it like, yeah, I'm I'm done, I'm done. And then suddenly we start this film and there he is, straight back in the Iron Man suit. So it's like, okay, so... They've nodded to a lot of the other films and made references, and then that one just glossed over because they needed Iron Man back in the suit. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah it's a, yeah. it's a weird one for for Iron Man three. 
um, to be completely dis- thrown out as a film, essentially, because that, that is the whole point of the film, is that Iron Man retires and doesn't want to be Iron Man anymore. He gets rid of all of his suits except for one at the end yeah. of that film, right? Um, in this film, he has a ton of suits. <laughs> he's back He's back yeah. and working, so maybe that's the plot for Iron Man 4, how he made it to, uh, <laughs> to Age of Ultron. Well, and also, as well, we... Pepper Potts is no longer uh, in this film. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 we'll get there, I think. Coldplay <laughs> fan, maybe? No, no. Oh, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> it, didn't miss her? Did you miss her? No. No? I, I, I did miss some of the supporting characters, like the additional supporting characters mm. from the other films, because Pepper Potts does play comic. She's the... Straight man to Robert Downey, Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, but I will say, and she, her, the best scene that Pepper Potts has ever had was in the Avengers. So when she's written by uh, by Joss Whedon, I definitely like her much better than I have in a lot of the films. Personally, uh, I think he does a great job of writing her as a character. Um, so I'd love to have seen her get another opportunity to work with Joss Whedon in uh, in Avengers: Age of Ultron. So it would have been nice. But they did have one of my favorite scenes in the film, which is the discussion between Robert Downey Jr. and Thor about their girlfriends, essentially where. Robert Downey Jr. is going, my girlfriend runs a company. You know, it's one of the biggest companies in the world. And then Thor says, well, my girlfriend's going to get a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, so she's better than yours. <laughs> so a good little gag between the two of them, why, why their two partners have disappeared and why they're not there. So they did address it at least. Again, yeah. yeah. Which, was, which was worth it. Um, John, do you want to give us your first point? Yeah, I'm going to go with a bit of a biggie, really. Um, and that is the introduction of... Um, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. So these are the Maximoff twins, mm-hmm. um, Wanda and Pietro. And um, I just thought they were a really good addition to um, the film and to the whole Avengers uh, world, that as- that part of the MCU universe. Um, I thought it really was... Um, I thought they worked well together. I mean, they've been on screen previously... Um, I think it was in Godzilla, the, the latest outing of Godzilla. Um, they were husband and wife in um, in that film. That's right, the two actors, not the twins. Yeah, the two actors. <laughs> so That's that just weird. Aaron Taylor Johnson and um, Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, That's right. so it's those. I, I thought they were really well together. I loved, in particular, Scarlet Witch and what she brought to the the whole film. And I think it's kind of summed up with the great premise of this film from Ultron is that we can tear them apart from the inside and how she is obviously very central to to that. Um, I think as well, see some good insights as to how powerful she can essentially become in this world mm-hmm. with... Um, Okay, if you haven't turned off, here is a, a big spoiler, uh, the Quicksilver's death um, oh. right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does that hasten you know, her demise and sort of this torment of her um, into this kind of big beast that she can become? But I really, really like this because I thought she added a great dimension to the Avengers team as well by making that shaky. Mm-hmm. Um, because... The first film, The Avengers, or The Avengers Assemble, as it was known in um, the UK, they finish on a high. You know, they are this team that knows each other pretty well. It starts off where they've become really um, close to one another. You know, you see Thor batting America, Captain America's shield away to kill a few Hydra goons, and you, you see all these different things. Um, and she's there to disrupt that. And so I, I love the introduction of these two. Um, and they also have then 
this driving force which is the hatred or detest of Stark and Stark Industries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I loved even the way she moved. I thought it was she was really different to the way the others moved. She didn't move like a fighter. She didn't have that stance. Mm-hmm. It was much more open, like as if she was just going to pirouette off to the side or something. Or, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It definitely <laughs> felt like a dancer. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Even her, the whole or her aura when it's ending to the new eighty <laughs> was completely different. I, 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 I'm sure it must have been on purpose because it was so marked. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have to say, my my favorite is these uh, pretty much one of the first scenes that Scarlet Witch has in this film, where she uh, where she puts the images into the mind of of Tony Stark, um, when she creeps up behind him, does the move that you're speaking about, Irene, the uh, the kind of dance behind him in the background, and then fades away uh, to meet up with Quicksilver, leaving the impression of the of the death of all of the Avengers in Tony Stark's head. I thought that was firstly a fantastically yeah. filmed scene, but really creepy and a real moment of. Oh, she can do anything to any of the characters in this film from this point onwards. She's actually quite a scary being and quite a scary uh, has has quite huge powers that could affect this team from that point onwards. So yeah, the the introduction specifically of Scarlet Witch I thought was fantastic, uh, really good. Did I miss something? Did 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 they explain in this yet how the mind jam gave them made them a mir- the miracles? Um, I think it simply said simply said the mind gem was the reason why they have their powers, but it was simply a, a line of exposition rather than how. Um, or what we okay. know, what we, we know, we just know they're enhanced. They're, yeah, we don't know how exactly. Yeah. Now, if you do watch the TV show Agents of Shield, they actually have some episodes tying into this that are running at the moment. Uh, so when, by the time it comes out in the states, they'll have had another three episodes more than we have at the moment going into the Avengers. So there, there are some elements that are leading into the Avengers that we aren't aware of which right. will be happening on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Um, what we know is happening is that in that show, uh, Hydra are experimenting on specials or in humans uh, to enhance them even further than their special abilities allow them to be. So potentially it will be using the mind gem. So a bit of spoilers for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, if if you haven't watched that yet. Um, but yeah, that they will potentially be using the mind gem to uh, enhance humans. In, in humans and humans, okay. essentially, as we go along. So that could absolutely be what happened to Wanda and to... Uh, to Petro, uh, Pietro. Pietro. That's Pietro. Sure. None of us can get Pietro's name right straight off this time. Um, or yes. Maximoff. Yeah. Do they actually call them the Maximoff twins? Yes. Okay. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually do keep both names. So, uh, so it is a shared universe name. It is. Uh, it is a name that's shared across uh, X Men and uh, and across the Avengers. But we shall not speak of that because that will just confuse people. <laughs> but I was just going to say, do you think that um, Quicksilver's death would hasten? wander into becoming obviously this huge um, problem for the world um, mm-hmm. as uh, the Scarlet Witch and of course this is sort of links to the House of M uh, comic series where she um, trying to bring her brother back to life mm. um, she alters reality and worlds and causes absolute mayhem and destruction for everyone else she becomes so powerful that she has to be stopped at all costs and I, you kind of saw that obviously the fact that he dies it sets well, that up nicely to an extent that there's that excuse for her Mm. to do that and then it was she did seem to take it very badly as you would do and whether that would lead to her unravelling um, at a later date maybe so just uh, only two points on that we don't know that he's officially dead mm-hmm. no one actually says he's dead so they 
Hawkeye does put him down on the ground, and he he could, but he in comic books he's come away for a lot worse. Mm-hmm. So in that last scene where it's Avengers cut, fade to black, um, when we see the Avengers uh, or the the team, the new, the new team, the new Avengers, yeah. um, he could just be in the hospital. Um, recovering mm-hmm. but uh, also additionally just for our listeners and for the readers of the comics uh, both of you may or may not know that they've completely changed her powers mm-hmm. or power set between the comic books and this um, so they could get away with it a bit more because in the comic books Scarlet Witch has reality bending powers or probability and so forth mm-hmm. so that's how she was when she goes crazy and changes the whole universe this she's Telepathy um, and telekinesis. Mm-hmm. So, I I don't know how they'll explain. Oh, suddenly uh, telekinesis and she can move things with her mind and go into people's mind. But now she can just change the whole universe and bring her brother back. Mm. So it's just it, it'll be uh, it's that will be a stretch. But again, we're talking about superhumans in a fictional world. Yeah. <laughs> in a movie, pretty sure they will do it if they want to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that her powers in this film definitely do feel much more like uh, Jean Grey yeah. from the X Men. Seems like she can just do, just do. If I could do this, it'd be awesome. But she can just <laughs> control minds and just move things with her minds and just and just do that kind of stuff. But in the comic books, it is much more powerful. But that does develop over a long period of time. She doesn't True. become that powerful until about thirty years into the comic book run, really. So when uh, she's only aged. 10, 5 years. <laughs> only yeah, about 5 or 6 years, yeah. Um, but, you know, it is possible that they'll be able to develop the character. And if she suddenly realises she has the power to bend reality, it would seem quite a logical step for the character to say, well, if I can change the world, the one thing I want is to bring back my brother. And that could create huge problems for the Avengers and a great setup for a future film where the Avengers come back and have to fight one of their own who's turned to the other side for reasons of family, which is a good connection between these kind of films yeah but this could be just now we're talking 2020 absolutely I don't don't see no actually speaking of that could be the Affinity War like that could quite happily and easily happen in the Affinity War where they have to she gets away with it yeah well I'm sure we will get the the movie slate up to about 2030 in the next two years so um, and actually just quickly on that a slight negative I had about the film is because I knew about these up and coming films it removed a lot of the jeopardy of some of these characters in the film for me because I'm there going okay well I know there's Captain America Civil War I know there's the Infinity Wars I know there's Ragnarok I know obviously Thor's a god anyway so it's very difficult for him to be in a jeopardy at uh, the hands of humans Mm. Um, but that to me, I wish now, I'm thinking, you know, yeah, release Doctor Strange, release um, about Black Panther and so on, but maybe they would have been better kept under wraps because there was part of me sat there thinking, well, I know there's a film about that's going to involve yeah. you and, and so on. And it removed a slight element of jeopardy from some of the characters uh, for me in the film. But it's a small point. Okay. On that, I actually... I was still was afraid for all of them as well because we, Josh Whedon had said they were going to kill off a major character, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, but actually, in theory, Iron Man could die, mm-hmm. um, and Captain America could die. Nope. I, I, even, well, no, he could because nope. no, Captain America would not die in this film. I knew that. Well, think of it. So we have Sam Wilson. So Sam Wilson yeah. could have been the Captain America in Captain America Civil War because they don't have that Tony Stark relationship. Yeah. 
but so, I, I don't. I think he's the one character that wouldn't have killed off in this. I think with Danny Junior, his contract has, uh, was pretty much ended when this film was about to be released, so they absolutely had the right to choose whether he would die or not. I kind of take John's point, but I don't think that's what the Avengers has ever really been about as a film. I don't think it's ever been about death watch for which character is going to die here I think that was kind of set up by Joss Whedon before the movie was coming out saying one of the major major characters is going to die I did like that um, that Hawkeye was very much put in danger in this film the dead meat it was very much set up that he has a family at home he's going off to war for the final time he's he's not a super powered Avenger um, so he absolutely can die at the hands of anybody else um, I you're still waiting for it when you see the wife and yeah, the kids absolutely. and the lovely house absolutely. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's really peaceful. You're just yeah. waiting for it. Like. Yeah. Absolutely. He's never coming home yeah. for this. Yeah. Oh, he'll stop working on the house the next time he gets yeah, home after cause, the Especially yeah. when she was setting him up. Like She's yeah. saying little things like that. This will be the last one. Yeah, sure it will. Yeah. And you're going, it will. <laughs> it will. <laughs> it will. Yeah, no. It's, but, but just as well to clarify, I wasn't sat in the film going, oh, I know that you've got films about this, because I, I get the point yeah. that Bucky Barnes might be, mm-hmm. um, obviously, Cap- oh, the new Captain, Captain yeah. America. That There's that aspect. So I, 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 it's not that it removed the peril whilst I was watching it. it that thought really crossed my mind sort of post-leaving um, the, the film and right. the movie. Um, it was just more that... And it's not that I particularly go in thinking of Death Watches, but it was a, a part of me that thought, I'm kind of beginning to know too much about these characters and their future movies. Does that affect how I read into the film? And that was kind of really uh, where, where I kind of got a bit of a problem about Jeopardy. And I liked how Scarlet Witch put them in Jeopardy. It's not so much that they die, but the uncertainty. I, I love the team potentially fracturing because of Scarlet Witch. And that, to me, was jeopardy yeah. it they didn't have to die as such it was more about that there needed to be some risk or hazard to them and that was done brilliantly i thought with scarlet witch uh, yeah, and for definitely. me one of the issues was that as they as scarlet witch and, their, and her brother moved from ultron over to the side of the avengers that suddenly got lost um as well and then it was just them against ultron and mm-hmm it kind of played out much more standard, I think, after that. Right, right. Interesting points. Um, so, Aaron, do you want to give us your first point? Okay, um, my first point was actually about the opening, the opening sequence mm. in Underance, Dracovia. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really, really frantic. And you're, I I was, you kind of started, it started at 90 miles an hour. Absolutely. And you're going, ah, Hang on, I feel like I came in like too late or something. I feel like I I missed the very the beginning. Yeah. And I just found that really unsettling. You're just mm-hmm. sitting there with the adrenaline going through it's, you, and you're, you're like, hang on, uh, who's that? Oh wait, oh yeah. what happened? <laughs> like, and which I thought was great, and that actually the pace it went down a little bit, but it stayed ramped up like the whole way through the movie, and I really liked that. But I just thought the very start. Yeah. I was like, what is wrong? Is Have you got five minutes? Is somebody dying? Like, why did it have to be that? Like, so I saw a review in The Guardian actually that said it was like an aspartame rush and I was going, yeah, but that aspartame's carcinogenic though. Like, so couldn't they kind of have just kept it at 
I totally understand there's a scene that was in the trailer which I thought was fantastic and made me so excited for the film there's a move that ca- the Captain America does where he jumps off his bike he grabs the handlebars of it throws it over his head taking yeah. out some of the soldiers that are that are attacking him. and I thought it was it's fantastic awesome. yeah. in the trailer brilliant but it's kind of lost then. yeah when I saw it in the film it was surrounded by seven other scenes of something cool happening and it was completely lost yeah. because even though that scene probably, think that was it. it was one of the coolest scenes that Captain America yeah. has ever done on film but it had a brilliant scene from from the Hulk. It had a brilliant scene from Iron Man. It had a brilliant scene from uh, from Thor. Brilliant stuff going on all around it. So it just got completely lost. There was too much brilliance. So yeah. there was too much, too much speed and too much, um, too much going on to catch everything that was going on at the end. I thought. I think once we this film comes out on Blu-ray, it will be we'll we'll all rewatch it. Yes, probably the weekend it's released, um, and I will just end up going. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I completely missed that. I never that saw that. Yeah. Well, I never yeah. saw that bit. And I see there's going to be loads like that. Absolutely. No, no, definitely. And there's so much going on. And I'm sure one of the big problems for a film this big is that Joss Whedon's obviously writing it that people will hopefully be going back and watching it over and over again. And probably people there three days in now watching it for the 10th or 15th time. And he wants to layer in tons of stuff for them to pick up when they go back into the cinema over and over again. So on one viewing... Absolutely right, Irene. Absolutely right, Chris. There are things we've missed in, oh, in here. Definitely. But there was so much crammed into that opening sequence. If it had be, even been, you know, if hey guys, we get back together, finally, isn't it great that we're all meeting up together, let's go off and do this and do this battle. And then they kicked into the battle, great. But it was opening titles and then off like a gunshot for, for five or ten minutes, yeah. which was definitely. quite difficult to catch your breath yeah. on. Yeah. And we found out that in that opening, at just the end of the opening sequence, that they've been doing this for a while. This was the X Fine. amount of uh, Hydra bases they've been raiding That's so right. I'm like I want to see those ones too Yeah, I yeah. want to see what happened in base number four, 1 to 8 yeah like there's a nice little parallel there between Captain America First Avenger Captain America was clearing out the Hydra bases across Europe and they only showed two Hydra bases being attacked or three I think it was very quick shots of yeah. and then one big battle at the end um, this is the same thing they're clearing out the Hydra bases across Europe but they only show one which is the big the big I final like flashbacks one. definitely yeah like definitely. the the like kind of that fade to what do you call it magenta not magenta <laughs> fade to kind of like just slightly off hue colours yep. see Captain America running in and then Perfect running out motion yeah exactly one or two like yeah exactly yeah good point though Irene definitely one that I uh, that I caught as well yeah no I, I, I agree I think it was very busy in parts I think there was so much to do in this film mm-hmm. both in terms of the previous Avengers mo- uh, film there's the drama there's the character development especially for Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver there's the exposition but as well this introduced and set up Wakanda the Civil War it carried on the whole Infinity Wars and and the, the Gemstones as well as Thor Ragnarok um, and I do think that if it wasn't for Joss Whedon, this could have been way too much for this film. I think he just about keeps it all moving really well um, Mm -hmm. and with the characters at the centre of it because there's an awful lot of exposition set up, references back, as well as trying to deal with the story, that it was a big, meaty beast um, of a film, definitely, which for some people that might be a, a bit of a problem. I think I'm just about with it um, but it it came close to being 
almost a bit too much to digest, at least in one viewing. Um, you know, as you say, go back to the film mm-hmm. in the cinema on Blu-ray or, or whatever, you will start to see probably so many different levels, yeah. layers, and, and, and so on. Um, but I think with another director, maybe less accomplished, it may have suffered. Mm-hmm. I think it nearly came out, it nearly had the typical Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 3 effect. Yeah. It was like, it was like, yeah, we have loads of villains. No, no, but Josh Whedon pulls it off, and yeah. he's known for doing that. He knows comic books, he knows the Avengers quite well, mm-hmm. and he's also an uber nerd. So he, above all that, he's an amazing screenwriter and director. You're right, it came very close a number of times that it was just... It's like, oh, okay, there was just what has happened in the last 10 minutes, I can't even remember. But you kind of just, if you fight it, I felt, I think we all would have just kind of came out going, oh, I don't remember any of that. Yeah. It was terrible. But once you just kind of, it's, I think the justice, justice decision is that you just go in, strap yourself in for two and a half hours <laughs> to do two hours, 50 minutes of just, this is going to be a roller coaster. There'll be ups, there'll be downs, there'll be spins, but at the end, I'm going to come out happy. Yeah, yeah. My hair looked blown dry. <laughs> so our so our review of the film is just go with it. No, no, yeah, no, no just <laughs> let it wash over you, yeah. and then like it will wait settle. for the second view, third, whatever viewing, <laughs> probably, and then you'd be like. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But, but the first, I, I definitely agree with Irene's point, though. Definitely the first 10 minutes are a strap yourself in and you will get through it. It'll be fine. We're just setting you back in the world. It's t- difficult to catch up with all the scenes, but there are some classic ones in there as well. So then, Derek, uh, what's your first point? Good that you bring that up because it's connected to Irene's point, really. Um, it's during the battle at the start. It's uh, it's seeing characters working together as the Avengers for the first time in a while. So we had the first Avengers film, obviously, where all the characters worked together. They were just getting to know each other and getting to know each other's strengths and weaknesses a lot. In this film, one of the cool parts about it is they know each other really well. So you now have stuff that you see in the comic books and in the video games a lot. One of the ones that really jumped out at me was Cap and Thor working together in, this, in, this, uh, in these fight sequence where you've got... Uh, Cap using his shield and Thor using his hammer together to create shockwaves, which is something oh, that you see in uh, yeah. you see in the computer games. It's cool, um, but each of them being able to use the strengths of the other characters around them to create a reason for this team to be together. They all know each other's powers and they all know how best to use them together. It felt like a basketball team or a soccer team um, where they were able to actually work together and everybody knows who's the who's the right person to go for go for the goal to go for the best uh, the best use of their ability to get through. Uh, through the fights, I thought that was a classic, classic stuff that was able to be brought out only in Age of Ultron. You'll never get that in another another film other than the next Avengers because these characters don't work together in other films. Oh, but yeah, taking on from that point, the 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 last fight scene where we get this, they're in that circular mm. um, building, Beautiful. and it's just we yeah. just see slow mo shots, full full speed shots of all of them doing their thing, but mm-hmm. working in this quite small. Con- Compact at space, yeah. And again, for me, that was better than the, that opening scene when they're working together. Because again, we get some of that. I think someone jumps on Cap Shield, mm-hmm. so I, I'm assuming Quicksilver maybe because um, it was very quick. Was it? No, it was Widow, wasn't it? She Widow. Was, she jumps on him and he flips her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like I was like, oh, that looks amazing. Yeah. And then it's, uh, Scarlet Witch throws some an Ultron uh, body on the air, and Vision just phases through. Him. Yeah. Or yep. phases into him and rips him. 
I was just like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, well done, bravo. Yeah. Okay, that, that, that's my money shot. <laughs> yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. But that was my that was my first point. Chris, I think we're on to your second point. Uh, okay, for me, it has to be uh, the post-opening sequence, post-opening. which is where they are all sitting down, mm-hmm. and that we have that very, very fun hammer scene. Oh, this is the uh, this is just the after party in uh, yeah. Harry Stark's house. Yes. Yeah, so they just got back, yeah. and the party scene. I love the party scene. We get our uh, our standard Stanley cameo, mm-hmm. which a good one this time. A great that was one. great. Yeah, a filthy yuck. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> they they put the drunken old man in there even. Um, but then it was more the hammer scene for me. It was okay. So these guys are actually friends again. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, they get ripped apart and they're no longer friends by the end of the film, or are they, question mark. Um, but this, this at the beginning, that was just brilliant. Yeah. Um, and uh, I believe that the, 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 in the hammer that we have the inscription, which is, let he who be worthy lift this, or may lift this hammer. Um, and it was great, because we obviously have then like Clint uh, Clint Barton, Hawkeye, saying, oh, it's all a trick, it's magnets. Mm-hmm. And then you have... Um, obviously Don Cheadle and uh, Robert Downey Jr. as uh, War Machine and Iron Man both trying to pick it and then they do it together with their with their gauntlets on yeah. and then you see the little jet thrusters mm-hmm. and then Cap comes up yeah. and it budges ever so <laughs> yeah. slightly and I was like the face on Thor yeah, yeah. That was so. I was so afraid he was going to be able to. Live. Absolutely, and and just the response from Thor going that didn't move an inch. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> but it was Fantastic th- that scene then plays later on yeah. with the hammer, um, with Vision, and then we see the hammer again later on, mm-hmm. and it was just that was okay. So, I thought originally it was just because we'd seen this in some of the teaser trailers, um, so I thought this. It was just going to be a, a standard walkthrough scene. Yeah. A kind of like, oh, yes, they've done some evil doing fighting. This is all them enjoying themselves. Mm-hmm. But it actually, no, it actually did play a part to the story, yes. which was great. Yeah. Um, the one bit I did like is Scarlet Witch said, turn down the chance. That's right. Because, well, for two things. One, um, in the comic books, Thor is currently a woman. That's right. The mantle of Thor and the hammer is That's owned right. by a woman. Yeah. Um, but actually in a what if, and for our listeners who don't know what a what if is, what if is a series that Marvel brought out about in the early 1970s? 70s, um, 80s, yeah. Yeah, where they did a what if, say, Spider-Man had kept the black suit, or mm-hmm. what if Iron Man did not become Iron Man, etc. And in one of those, Scarlet Witch becomes a thunder goddess. Oh, really? She picks up the hammer. Very good. And I think it was just a nice, probably again, a, a Josh Whedon nod to both of those, which is, I don't need to try my luck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I did think it was a great thing for Black Widow's character that she didn't want to pick up uh, pick up the, the, the hammer because she essentially says, I don't want that question answered. I don't want to know whether I'm worthy or not for a superhuman being's hammer because I know I'm not. I've done too many bad things in my life. It's a good little point the for the character. Room. Absolutely, the yeah. red ledger. I, I, I like the way as well that uh, the scene was dead jovial. It, it's on the back end of the party. It, it There's loads of fun. It's really good sense of humour. And it, it the, that tonal shift then when, obviously, first phase Ultron oh, with yeah. his sort of acid-scarred mask yeah. um, comes out from, from the shadows. Mm. And it's just... I love the fact... It, it even added more to the whole scene of the... The hammer being, you know, everyone trying to pick up the hammer because 
it's such good fun. It's what you would expect at the end of a party where, you know, it's just the last few remaining people sitting down, laughing, continuing to drink. And then it's rudely interrupted by Ultron first phase. I, know, I wish that would happen. That would be quite cool, actually. But um, <laughs> they, our parties were yeah, interrupted by like, first phase Ultron. But first, you know, it comes in and it just brings... It's like the police knocking on the door to an extent. Right. Yeah. And it, it's like, it's a really good like shift in, in the tone, you know? Not that that happens very often, I should add. The police knocking on the door, that uh, is. Of course, of course. <laughs> we believe you. All right, with the police knocking on the door, John, do you uh, do you have your second point? Yeah, my second point kind of uh, links in with my first about uh, the Scarlet Witch and her powers. I loved um, that Hawkeye didn't have that done to him. I loved his little quick move to essentially like, electrocute Scarlet Witch, which kind of frazzled her for for a split second, mm-hmm. so that he didn't get caught in her neural sort of manipulation and so on. And um, I love that that made him a kind of really the, the solid ground for the team whilst they were all losing their heads about them. He was kind of this fixed point, which as well, even though I did, I've mentioned about the Jeopardy, you did think because of the farmhouse and all that reference to isn't this such a quaint farmhouse, you know, I'm trying to do some woodwork here, chop some wood fry some eggs or whatever. <laughs> that have it, a look at the tractor. Yeah, you'll have a look at the tractor that, you know, it's setting him up for a fall and so you kind of start to really root for, for the guy. And I think as well, just given that he didn't have a lot of uh, dialogue in the first Avengers film, mm-hmm. I really like this, that he kind of stood front and centre and was much more integrated um, into this movie um, in that settled centre kind of a role for everyone else as they, they lose their wits about yeah. them. I do like what they've done with Hawkeye in this film. It's quite a stark contrast between this one and the last film where he was essentially under the control of, of uh, Loki for most of the film last time with a lot of complaints from fans that he didn't get served enough time within the film. In this film, he's got a lot to do and he's got a lot of great moments in here, definitely. And they actually referenced that. He goes, I've had an... Uh, I've, I'm not getting my mind controlled anymore. What mm-hmm. was the line? Something very that when he actually uh, shocks Scarlet Witch, it was like, yeah, I, I'm not one for mind control anymore. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was a great sort of back reference yeah. to the first film, which that's what kind of took him out of the the film because yeah. he was just a drone then for for Loki. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I I must say I thought he Jeremy Renner did a really good role here as that centered guy. Yeah, yeah. He had some great moments in the film, definitely. Uh, one of my favourites, and if I, if I can jump ahead and grab grab one of my points, since, uh, since I have one specifically on Hawkeye, his moment with um, with Scarlet Witch later on in the film, where he gives his speech to her, his inspirational speech as to why what makes an Avenger and why he's part of the Avengers. Firstly, I thought that was a really good comment from Joss Whedon on the two characters of Black Widow and Hawkeye, who are often criticised as not being super-powered and therefore they're not Avengers, they're just agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. working with the Avengers. Um, Hawkeye gives a speech to, to Scarlet Witch to encourage her to go out that door, and once she does go out that door, she will become an Avenger, regardless of what she did in the past, because I'm an Avenger, because I fight every day to protect our world, essentially. Which I thought was a great line yeah. for Hawkeye, and a great inspirational moment for the character, and a really good rewriting of the character to appease fans in some sense, but also to make him a great character in his own right in this film yeah okay so that's enough of Derek and Hawkeye and his love interest there I think uh, Irene go on 
Give us one. Can I give it a bit of hug for a minute? Okay. Oh, interesting. Ooh. You do know he will find you mm-hmm. yeah. and beat down your house. No, that's the big bad wolf. <laughs> and the whole. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't going to give out that strongly. I just thought he was a little bit wussy. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. He think, tore uh, up South Africa. was bad for him, I think. Aww. Aww. You just want to see Hulk smash. I just want to see him settled. I just already, I just want to see him happy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the whole the whole thing about the two of them were going to go off together, and then like you're adorable, and she pushes him, and next thing, okay, he's back. I didn't like that yeah. it was her that 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 he was go he was going to leave, like he was ready to leave, but it was her that pulled it back and yeah, and stayed. Yeah, I think he remembers, or the Hulk remembers, and that obviously when he flicks off the screen at the end. Yeah, and in the, in the Quinjet, yeah. I was like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, they've definitely done a lot of changes to the character uh, for this film. Like it was, it was. I know it was essentially Ruffalo's version of the Hulk, or Ruffalo's version of Bruce Banner in the last film. Said he's always controlling the rage. He's always got the switch to flick to turn mm-hmm. on the Hulk. And uh, but it was never really pointed out that the Hulk had re- much, much consciousness or much, uh, much knowledge of what was going on around him. He was still Hulk Smash basically, with the basic point him as your weapon towards what you want to smash, which yeah. is what the Avengers did. In this film, there very much seemed to be a much more guided version of it. Much con- more um, controlled. He's trying to be, he is, and he's trying to be more controlled. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, to your point, I, mean, I don't know that it works as well when you've got Banner going, I don't want to be the Hulk. The Hulk's horrible. He's absolutely terrible. But he's actually able to control him. He's a really powerful super being, yeah. and he knows exactly what he's doing all the time, it seems. In this yeah, film. but there was the bit with the... Uh, basically Cooney Banner mm-hmm. uh, where Tony mentions Banner and enrages the Hulk mm. in, in when they're in Cape Town That's right. and I was like yeah. oh, okay um, so again we've got that I don't know what character or what version of the Hulk they're going for in this whether it's intelligent Hulk or mm-hmm. semi-intelligent Hulk because in the last one he was very much Hulk smash mm-hmm. puny human puny god but is, isn't that the Hulk, though? It's no, Hulk. so the, no. there's like been like, huge variations of the Hulk in the comic books, yeah. where he's been like everything from the mindless kind of Neanderthal-styled, where he just smashes, and, yeah. and the angry he gets, and that usually goes back to the angry he gets, the dumber he gets. That's right. Um, yeah. But in this, he seemed to be on that kind of cusp of consciousness. He he jumped. He knew where to go. He put. Scarlet Witch on his back and in this one, it. no, and that's that's what I mean about wussy. Like I was going, that's not. <laughs> you like your man, tall, tall, green, I always strong. Liked the Hulk when he was yeah. that made sense to me that he got so angry that he couldn't. He, but in this, he seemed to be able to put it back, even when he was proper enraged already. Yeah, he yeah, seemed yeah. to be kind of able to. Well, the yeah, take time is. out from being enraged and smashing yeah. to stop. And look round and go and through the, the process. Bit with her, yeah, like kind of seemed to prove that. Like he seemed to be able to stop. And mm. no, again, it maybe it's because it's her, and that's why it was her that made him leave. Was going to he was going to leave for her? I don't know. I didn't think that came across though. Right to me, and I, maybe it was just my interpretation of the scene, but I think that kind of came across as almost like a mnemonic that you would use to calm down an angry person. A kind of a a word, almost a safe word, almost from um, from from the character that she's the only one that can say this, and that will be the thing that will trigger Banner to turn back into Banner from being the Hulk. It was almost like that. It felt like she was the only person that could call it out, and that would be uh, the one thing that would calm him down. 
So maybe it is that he's becoming that way. He can control it now, but he couldn't before. Exactly. Rather than maybe that's it. Maybe okay. that's it. Yeah. Then it's starting to lead on. So. But I think it was definitely that progression of a more conscious Hulk. I mean, it's always been that Jekyll and Hyde element, but mm. within that story, you have that one is trying to dominate the other, and there's that kind of internal conflict. You've always got that from Banner's side that he doesn't want to become that, but. There's the other side of of that, the the side that wants to remain the Hulk because of the power that they has, and I definitely saw in this film that progression and change from the previous one. Definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, in that sense, completely agree with with Chris that you you do start to see a more controlled Hulk, which suggests that move to making him you know, more conscious of of being able to control his actions when, to an extent. When are we next seeing Hulk? Yeah, that's the that is the big mm. question. They still they still have not announced um, a Hulk standalone film, which is one of the only assuming. big characters we haven't we haven't seen get his own standalone film. So we're assuming the next film is actually going to be the Avengers. Um, not Infinity, Civil War. Infinity War. Um, I think is the assumption that it's Avengers, but he could absolutely appear in Civil War if, if Civil War goes the way we think it's going to go. We assume Mark Ruffalo has said that they are looking at a standalone film and that it will probably do space. So that could be it. And Guardians of the Galaxy too. He could. He was at Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. I completely agree. You said strange, and immediately I thought, who can deal with the Hulk and banish him? Oh yeah, Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. With a maybe modified Illuminati, possibly. Mm. Yeah. Because obviously they don't have um, uh, Richard Reed Richards or Professor Xavier. Yeah. Or no more. Or no more. Oh, wow. Unfortunately. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Slightly dwindled. <laughs> Illuminati. Yeah. But. Illuminati part B. But I will say, one of the things that did strike me, and I was actually going to bring it up as well, Chris, because it, it is a good point about what's happening with the Hulk. Where we, we finish the film and the Hulk has disappeared. He's got in a, in a ship that's protected and shielded from shield, essentially. So it's he heads off into the great unknown at the, end of the, at the end of the movie. They find a ship in the Pacific that could possibly have been the ship, is what Nick Fury says, but there's no way to tell because it's still shielded. Um, but, importantly, this character is starting to grow to be able to control his abilities. He's starting to become more and more intelligent, which is what happens to Bruce Banner's Hulk before the Illuminati send him off to Planet Hulk, mm-hmm. where he becomes the Hulk and leads a society. He's so intelligent and so in control of his abilities. So it absolutely could be the setup of the... Planet Hulk arc. Maybe it's not him going off to another planet, but perhaps it is him going off to his own society to lead them uh, in a war against the rest of the the rest of Earth. Potentially something like that. Um, but it is. It could absolutely be the lead up to a, a, a big arc for for the Hulk. He's now off on his own again, um, and is in more control than he's ever been in the past. So are we thinking it's more than he's annoyed with her at the end? Yes. Yes, a bit more. Yeah. It's either he's he's an orderer and he just wants to get away from the I mean, rest of society. Sorry, annoyed with her and hating himself, obviously, because yes. he became, I don't mean just annoyed with her. <laughs> they had a fight and that's it. <laughs> Pack your suitcase. Hulk-sized suitcase. There is no man that can do a tantrum like the, like the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Slam the door, building shatters. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Christoph. Okay, I'm going to give my one, which is actually something I only noticed in this one, which is in every MCU movie that Tony Stark is in, mm-hmm. he gets choked by someone. 
Right. <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. There's a nice pattern there for uh, for Tony Stark being being choked. But to be honest with you, if Tony Stark was in your life, he's such an arrogant person that I would like to strangle him sometimes. <laughs> um, he seems like a good person to go out for drinks with because he will buy the bar for you. Um, but yeah, I sometimes want to strangle that character. He's, he's so arrogant sometimes. But uh, so I can kind of see why everybody from Asgard to Earth wants to wants to choke hold, give him a chokehold. You know, sometimes. <laughs> okay, that was just a weird point but uh, the actual real one is the twins being created by Stark mm. or their origin is part of Stark right in that they, they there's this quite annoying juxtaposition where they talk to the side and it's like yes did you ever know they spent two days under a bed staring at a missile that mm. hasn't exploded it's like well if it hasn't gone off by then, you kind of would slowly start moving. But no, we get this. No, they yes, stayed there. They stayed That's there. exactly what I thought. Yeah. You wouldn't be in a st- in the same state of terror every time something moved. You wouldn't. You'd be going, oh, grand, relax, fall asleep at least. Yeah. No. It's like, like, well, you'd, you'd creep slowly <laughs> past it, but it wouldn't take you two days to get out no, from under the bed. No. Like, like, so what what kind of bed was this right. that they could <laughs> one entrance and exit? Like, no, get under the bed. But I will say, if they did spend the two days there staring at the name of Stark Industries on this bomb that's just killed their family and killed all their hometown, they absolutely would have developed some kind of hatred for Tony Stark because you've just spent two days under a bed staring at his name over and over again. So yeah, Or a hatred of beds. Well, yeah, possibly. <laughs> they never sleep in this film. So. No, they don't. It's true. It kind of links back to the first Iron Man film, I think, where as you have all these Stark Industries weapons being sent off for use in wars where it's, you know, America fighting against people who feel they have a justified cause and mm-hmm. it kind of links to that and this is their reason for hooking up with with Ultron because they were being attacked and it's like having you know the address of the person who who made that bomb yeah. that was going to kill you but it malfunctioned so he's not perfect and yeah. um, and uh Certainly. they were stolen know, bombs so maybe he, they stole the ones well that we don't know if they were stolen yeah so I think it links back to that in the first Iron Man where, you know, that's part of the reason why they go after Iron Man to try and take him down and um, because of his warmongering, that's right. in a sense, or his perceived warmongering by other people. That's right, yeah. yeah. Because that is the whole point of, of the first Iron Man is that Tony Stark never actually cared what people were doing with his weapons. He was just selling them the best possible weapons in the world. It's only when he's been captured and only when he's been tortured that he realises, hold on a second, maybe I shouldn't be selling bombs to kill kids. Um, is kind of the point, you know. It's only, it's only then that he realises he's made billions and billions of dollars off the murdering and killing of innocent people by... In, in wars across the world, you know? So if the timeline is correct with, with Wanda and uh, and, Pet, and Pietro, um, if the timeline's correct, at that time when those bombs were going off, Tony was absolutely selling those weapons. He was absolutely giving no care in the world about the fact that who they were being used on. So, yeah, the, the fact that he's involved in the creation of those characters at the time before he became Iron Man is, is fundamental to, the, to this movie. It does lead to one of the best lines in the film where we get Iron Man talking to Maria Hill, mm-hmm. getting into a lift... And uh, Maria Hill questions why someone would let someone else experiment on you mm-hmm. uh, to, to become a, an experiment for your 
uh, country and uh, Captain America turns around and goes yes what kind of monster would let a German a Nazi German experiment on them for to protect his country yeah that's that's like, ah nice nice yeah. bit there for the origin nod thank you <laughs> absolutely yeah that was really really good really really good John do you want to give us your next point yeah, um, for me, one of the fight scenes that I really, really enjoyed was in the ship graveyard. Um, and as well, because it introduced um, Andy Serkis's character, Ulysses Clow, mm. um, and set up of Wakanda, and um, that whole element leading, I suppose, ultimately to the Black Panther film. But I loved the fight sequence here between um, Ultron and Iron Man and then between the goons uh, of uh, Ulysses and then also with Ultron's uh, other robots. But I loved then the Scarlet Witch. For me, I think she's just brilliant in this film and that's my third point now where it relates kind of to <laughs> Scarlet Witch, but I just loved her infiltrating the minds of, of all the Avengers mm-hmm. in this fight sequence. It really adds a load of different uh, levels to it. Um, you have all the flashbacks. You you get to see um, Black Widow in the orphanage, which obviously links to Agent Carter. Um, and, the Red Room. Yeah, the Red Room. Yeah. It, it links to that. You have um, then... Peggy Carter and Captain America in this ballroom uh, doing this uh, sort of this long lost love and those regrets. Finally getting that dance, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then you have um, her going after Hulk. And I I love that line. She's just kind of been frazzled by Hawkeye with his electric arrow. And she's been taken out of the battle by her brother. And she looks over and she can see Banner over in the Quinjet, I think it is. And it's she says, I'm going to finish this. And he's like asking you, um, Pietro is asking, are you okay? How are you feeling? She kind of looks over the determination on her face. I'm going to finish this. This is my job on, on the side of Ultron. And I just think it really adds a nice complication to this fight sequence mm. where all of a sudden she has taken out three principal um, characters um, in this huge fight sequence. And then I did, I just loved how it had all these reflections back to um, other Marvel properties, other Marvel films, uh, Marvel TV, but also looked forward to Wakanda and that whole setup with regards to the um, the metal vibranium. And obviously you see the brand on Ulysses' neck that he's been given um, from escaping there as a thief. What was that terrible ulti- ultimatron? No, it was unobtainium. 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 That was yes. it. It's not like it's not like vibranium. Yeah, unobtainium was the uh, the one from uh, James Cameron's. Oh, Pocahontas. Yes. Oh, no. Dances with Wolves. No, Avatar. 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 Yeah, yeah, that was unobtainium. it. Unobtainium. Yeah, it is actually a true, actually a true they, name for a metal. Yeah, um, but they could obtain it. But yeah. Uh, they spent the entire film looking for unobtainium and then obtained it. Um, so for me, this whole fight scene was really good. I think it just linked everyone together, but it made them look vulnerable as well with the Scarlet Witch, which bizarrely, even though I loved the final end scene where they're all, you know, the cameras spinning around and so on, mm. I just felt that you know they had it in under control. But I loved the fact that she kind of went in and did her mind 
manipulation and sort of infiltrated in to essentially disrupt them and I just really liked that I thought it, I thought it was good and yeah. cool yeah <laughs> absolutely again showing the power of the character definitely yeah and it set up um, UC Cloud perfectly the lower parts of his arm is now missing yeah um, so that leads him up to become the claw um, who is the arch nemesis uh, of the Black yeah. Panther yes yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah yeah so there we are um, and uh, no I actually I enjoyed that sequence I had a slight annoyance with it in that the uh, Quicksilver's character in theory could have taken them all out quite quickly he took out Cap within a second mm -hmm. and I was like oh okay so you're just making him super strong um, and they don't fully explain that how his punch carries that much kinetic force yeah. um, but I was like yeah so he could have just rather than Scarlet Witch putting herself in danger he could have just zipped around mm -hmm. knocked him out a bit and then gone back but no it was a good way and I think the whole point of that scene even though it set up the Hulk um, it was just to introduce Vibranium so that people know what the battle is again yeah, right. and Wakanda and our new arch nemesis I was expecting Black Panther I was expecting something in the shadows right. zipping by the more and more I think about it this film is the setup to phase 3 ok we're going to give you lots of little easter eggs for each of the different upcoming films mm -hmm. uh, I'd say if we look carefully there will be Doctor Strange references and the Eye of Amagato mm -hmm. kind of n nods I'd say there's a nod to every film in the uh, phase 3 slate I presume, I presume so. Just quickly, I have to say, I'm so glad it wasn't as bad as Iron Man 2's setup of the rest of the films, which just ended off being a, a two hours of useless uh, of a useless film setting up other stuff. At least there was something accomplished here with the Avengers. At least there was a story. At least there was a big reason for them all to be getting together. It wasn't just a, a way of getting them all together to do a big advert for the future films. These were all layered in elements throughout this film. Some little stuff that people may not have caught. If you don't know what's coming up on the slate, you absolutely wouldn't know that Wakanda is the place that Black Panther comes from, his hometown, and we're going to see that in a future film. You just would have thought this is another country being talked about where where this particular character comes from. So that's that's pretty good. They did a good job of doing that, definitely, in this film. I, I also just love the setting. I don't know what it is, but seeing ships out of water sort of standing up. It's kind of like mm. the skeleton coast in Namibia where you see all the, the old ships just run aground out of context. I just thought that was, that was brilliant. Cool. Like, really good sort of imagery. And then, obviously, it integrates well into the story as you say it's not just purely for setup and that there is there is a point which is to get the vibranium which creates Ultron phase 3 mm -hmm. which I just loved how he introduced himself by ripping apart um, Ultron number 2 um, absolutely I thought that was really cool as well so yeah I, I, I just loved this whole fight sequence I thought it was pretty cool but I do kind of accept the, the point about Quicksilver because his super strength also isn't really explained at all, um, but maybe it's just the kinetic energy of his speed, but mm -hmm. they, they didn't really say it, so it's difficult to know yeah. how he could do some of his things, I yeah. think. So while we're talking about Quicksilver, one of the big things that people are going to want to know and are interested in knowing about is this is the second version of Quicksilver in, I suppose, Marvel cinema, but not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was also in the most recent X-Men film, Days of Future Past, uh, played by another former member of the Kick-Ass uh, team. Um, what did you think of this version of Quicksilver versus that version of Quicksilver from X-Men uh, Days of Future Past? I'm a f 
more fan now of this Quicksilver. Interesting, interesting. Because it just sets him up. He has the sibling love, which is a big char- big part of his character in the comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked more like Quicksilver, not touting a baseball cap and what was this a fanny fanny pack as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so and he looked at he 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 sat more with me in this one. I think this is and overall. The character was played well. The the, the Aaron Taylor Johnson. No. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Yep. Way. Got his name right. Um, he portrayed Pietro as a better version right. of himself. He sacrifice the sacrifice at the end. Yeah. yeah. That was what, what was the line when he goes? He looks at Hawkeye and says, "Ow." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a fair I'm point. Sorry. Ow. <laughs> um, Remember no. my two children. <laughs> I will be here forever. <laughs> um, no, I think that look that 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 scene is a scene stealer. Mm-hmm. It, it it made everyone go, oh, they're not evil. Oh, even though they've been fighting for the last ten minutes with yeah. our guy or twenty minutes mm-hmm. to half an hour with our guys. Oh, no, no, they're actually good. They started bad. Yes, it makes me wonder what they cut. And I've ta- I'll probably keep saying this. This film was three and a bit hours long. Originally the first cut, mm-hmm. and they brought it down. So I want to see the director's cut. I want to see what we missed. Yeah. Because I do know that when we first see when Petro and uh, Scarlet Witch first meet Ultron, mm-hmm. when he's dressed like the Crimson Cowl right, um, right. in that church, mm-hmm. uh, apparently there is a larger scene that we missed. Right, right. Um, which explains a bit more of their background. And we know no, they, they blame Stark, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, but apparently there is more to that scene than we originally let on. Mm-hmm. And his character doesn't actually have that many lines, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, aside from the one or two interactions with the, the, the team in the headquarters, mm-hmm. um, and that bullet scene, no, not the bullet scene, where he takes apart the gun. Yes. It clouds, uh, or clouds, sorry. And then when he's fighting, when he destroys all the machines that they're trying to build vision with, mm-hmm. that is brilliant. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's more for me why I think it was, he was a better character. Right. Irene, what do you he, think? He, was, he definitely wasn't the more don- dominant twin. She had a lot more presence, I thought. Mm-hmm. Even though, yeah, he has a few, like, Great moments. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, she she was the scene stealer. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when he's saying, I don't want to leave, I'll stay with you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, 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 go. And then they have the brother-sister shucks kind of a moment. I was like, <laughs> that's the Jeremy Renner in the farm. You'll never do another job in the house that's again true, moment. Yes. I went, you know, one of them's dying. Like, yeah. But I thought it was going to be her because she had been more centre stage than yeah, him yeah yeah and then obviously not yeah unfortunately but he is 12 minutes older he does have uh, he does have uh, <laughs> the, the more dominant side of him potentially is what he thinks but you're absolutely right as as the sister she is the more dominant of the two twins definitely but I did like his portrayal of uh, of Quicksilver in this oh, yeah. film definitely and he's really nicely protective of her he yeah. doesn't actually like stop her doing anything but he's like just kind of watchful Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the, the good, the good older brother, I guess. Yeah, twelve minute older brother. Um, but yeah, I do like his version of of Quicksilver personally. It's a it's a really good performance by Aaron Taylor Johnson. I've loved some of the films he's been in the past, and he's really becoming quite a big actor in Hollywood. You see him in in masses of films now. He's done he's done some great stuff, um, and I liked his portrayal. Whereas the Quicksilver in X Men uh, Days of Future Past was 
a standout scene is what he was in that yeah. in that film. To me, he was yes, he, a bit of wisecracking here and there, but one standout scene is all he really had, and it is a fantastic scene. I'm not going to take anything away from it. I don't think the Quicksilver in this film had a standout scene like that, but it was a much better character, a much better performance, and a much closer character to the comic books is what I felt definitely. Yeah, no, I yeah, agree. I, that that was going to be my point. I felt that uh, Peter or Pietra in in this film by Aaron Taylor-Johnson was more integral to the whole story, mm. certainly given, I think, how central Scarlet Witch was. Yeah, he's her twin. He's naturally going to be there for quite a lot of the film as well. So for me, the character of Quicksilver was given much more time to breathe, to develop, and be a much more integrated part of, of this film. And for that, I definitely um, preferred this version but that's not to take away from Evan Peters, who played then Peter in Quicksilver. In that sense, in Days of Future Past, he was an American kid. Um, mm-hmm. He wasn't coming from sort of a, a, an Eastern European country. And it seemed as though he was much more peripheral. I mean, you get that sort of introduction and that great scene. And it is. It's fantastic where he's running around the, the room doing X, Y, and Z, you know, I think unbelting someone's pants, picking bullets out of the air, and so on. And that was great, and I loved that. Um, And that was actually my only kind of thought about the connection of these two was the fact that because you saw in Days of Future Past that he was so fast, he could go faster than a bullet. And maybe this links to what Chris is saying about is he really dead? You know, um, although he did have blood on his um, top and so on, it did seem to look potted with bullet holes. But you just wondered whether would Quicksilver still be fast enough to push um, Hawkeye and the kid out of the way yeah. and also then pick the bullets out of the air like was shown on uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. I kind of wondered whether that would have been easy for him to sort of deal with, yeah. uh, given his powers. But, I mean, nonetheless, that's what happened. And um, But I, I definitely like the fact that you got a bit more information about uh, Quicksilver in this, and certainly his relationship with Scarlet Witch, and that I really, really liked. Yeah. Did he actually push them out of the way? Because they were pushed over. That was the thing. He seemed <laughs> to they just kind of... He picked them up, placed them, like, three foot away, mm. and then stood directly in the line of you think if he was carrying them he would have just carried them and then he would have been protected by the car too yeah, yeah. so that was a bit of for me I had, I had again a suspension of belief we're looking at superheroes mm-hmm. that's fine yeah. this man can run faster than a speeding bullet perhaps um, but yeah that just made me kind of crossover proprietary rights but they did, like, they did set it up in the film a bit earlier on and I think it is a reference to what we know of his powers from Days of Future Past I think Joss Whedon was referencing that by showing that the character did get shot earlier on in the film a bullet does hit him so he's oh, not go- yes. he doesn't go that fast he doesn't go so fast that the whole world is stopped dead around him which is what um, what Peter's character in Days of Future Past what happens to him he's moving so fast that everything is stopped for around him. So that's a very different ability than this. This is a much slower version of running. He's not. Yeah. He's not. He's about the flash speed rather than uh, stopping the entire world around him. Kind yeah. of thing, uh, which I think is good. But again, compare the two characters. I definitely think the character of uh, Pietro in this film is better than the character of Peter in uh, in Days of Future Past. I still think Evan Peters though was a good Quicksilver. I just I like him as an actor anyway from American Horror Story mm-hmm. as well as from um, 
Kick-Ass. So for me, it doesn't take anything away from what he did with his version of Quicksilver in Days of Future Past. Um, I think he was just not as integrated into that story arc as Aaron Taylor Johnson's version of Quicksilver and how integrated he was into um, this film. So I think they both did great jobs. um, Because one was more central to the film yeah definitely I hope Chris is right I hope this isn't the last we see of this character and this portrayal of uh, of Pietro I really hope we get to see him in a future film definitely um, Irene do you want to give us your next point uh, my next point was Jarvis he's just lovely oh yes I really liked the way Paul Bettany looked it wasn't just the voice it was like oh, I was like that's very lovely <laughs> yeah. I know obviously everybody was, everybody already knew that probably but I was just going he actually does look like himself yes yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, the practical effect of uh, of the vision after Paul Bettany appears. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, so you finally see the face. Yeah, and the, it does match the voice. He's yeah. very genteel and funny and kind of innocent or something. Mm-hmm. Naive, more than innocent, probably. Naive is the word. And he, well, he was only born yesterday, as he points he was, out yeah, at the end of the was. film. <laughs> A great line, definitely. Yeah, it was really even. <laughs> obviously then there's the little jokes between himself and Thor the fact that he picked up the hammer and they're all just staring at him mm-hmm. and the fact that he's like it's very well balanced you know it just, there's <laughs> something to say to him because it's really awkward that he managed to pick it up uh-huh. I just yeah he's just lovely <laughs> so do you have a do you have a crush on the vision oh I like the vision yeah yeah, yeah. It must not, be the, it's the green only as the vision yeah. <laughs> not as the not as Paul Batman court lady at the end but girl Friday <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our girl Friday, which I still don't get. We we're going to find out now. We'll find out next week whether Friday is an acronym and the voice will change mm-hmm. as we think it might across each country, similar to the uh, the notebook scene out of uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is a uh, this is where Tony chooses the new voice for the for the speech in his helmet, essentially, where he plugs it in. Uh, it's titled Friday on a disc. Mm. He plugs it in. It gets it and gets attuned to a new voice, essentially. And um, we have to say for any of our American listeners or UK listeners or any listeners across the world, um, watching this with an audience of Irish people, as we slowly realise that the actress playing uh, playing Girl Friday, as we're as we're calling her, uh, is Kerry Condon, an Irish actress. About three lines in, the entire audience were obliterated laughing at the Irishness <laughs> so of her, ac- of her accent. And hearing that as the voice of a computer is really unusual in film. Um, I don't think I heard any of any of her lines after about the third or fourth line. I don't think I heard anything else she said because everybody was, was creased sad. up laughing about how Irish her voice sounded to be instructing extru- instructing Tony how to do the attack, essentially. Yeah. It just seemed like such a weird uh, juxtaposition between Paul Bettany's upper class British who could absolutely be somebody that would command someone in war or command somebody in an army kind of kind of thing that kind of feel of an upper class Brit a dad's <laughs> army maybe um, but but having an Irish person doing that where it's like oh look over there Tony what um, the velocity <laughs> I was like that's so strange in, yeah, so, in the midst of all the American accents like it's because you're so used to that yeah. and then you hear the Irish voice cutting through it's bizarre it was it was very well, very interesting I have to say, I didn't even notice that she was Irish until probably the third time she spoke, and that was kind of when everyone burst out laughing in in the screen, in the cinema, and I was like, has that changed? Mm. I mean, I did not get it at all until the third time she, she spoke, and then the whole cinema is creasing laughing. It's a change to the norm. 
Yeah, so we definitely want to hear if if the voice changes in other countries because we just suspect this is what's going to happen. Because we're Irish and because we're hearing an Irish voice, we suspect that this voice is going to change in other countries. If it doesn't, and it's the Irish voice being carried across the world to all the countries this film is going to be shown in. We I'm promise delighted. we don't sound like that. No, we don't. You can hear for the last hour you've heard our voices. You know, we don't all sound like that. But Hopefully. you're Gary, but Jesus. Oh, no, Tony. Look out at the repulsor rays. Oh. <laughs> uh, that brought by a little leprechaun who came into the room there. Liberation. <laughs> Liberation. Exactly. <laughs> film. Uh, it was a great film. That's right. That actually really um, kind of ties into my one of my last points. Which is Vision and Wanda. Mm, yeah. So for the comic book lovers and readers, Vision and Wanda are a couple. Mm-hmm. I believe they actually marry at one point. That's right. Um, and this was really okay. As soon as we heard both these characters were going to be in the the film, um, the the comic book lovers and myself included were like, "Hey, we get a love story! Uh-huh. Brilliant! This is the beginning." We don't. Yes. But. We do get some of those glances, mm-hmm. those longing glances, and um, that really was continued or really heightened for me when he saves her at the end, mm-hmm. and she's longingly looking and gazing into his eyes as, as he kind of flies her away, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yes. Okay, so could this mean a blossoming romance in the future? Um, like, the, the, the emotional... The emotional death that she has felt as her brother's death mm-hmm. could that be the uh, Will Vision who is quite young and inexperienced in the world of romance taking advantage of a poor lost uh, no we can't say mutant special uh-huh. enhanced um, she, she might take advantage of poor Jarvis Yes. Oh yes, or Jarvis. <laughs> Who knows? She might. You never know. You we never, never know. call him Jarvis again. Yes. Yeah. I I did think at the end when the sort of New Avengers initiative was sort of revealed mm-hmm. that it went on to Scarlet Witch and she had definitely had her hair done and it seemed like there was a spotlight shining on it. It seemed like she was. It, she reminded me of the Baker Light Girl from A uh, Matter of Life and Death, uh, the Wallace <laughs> and Gromit thing, <laughs> where it was like. Because she looked so different with the hair done and clean and kind of not sort of... Not living in a war zone. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So it was... um, That was kind of interesting to see because then, as well with Vision there, as uh, as Chris said, that whole romance potentially sort of taking off. I I loved the Vision too. I thought it was awesome. I didn't know how it was going to play out. Um, Obviously, Ultron uh, creating him... And then ultimately being cre- created by the gemstone. Um, I thought this was really good. Um, the Infinity Gem, I should say. I thought this was really good. And I, I just liked it. I liked the, that whole scene between Ultron and uh, the Vision in the forest uh, right at the end. Kind of a, a slight um, melancholic ending to the big bad yeah. um, in this film, um, which was really good. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, like, I, I absolutely like the fact that Ultron set this whole thing up. He says throughout the film, essentially, that he's going to create the one thing that can destroy him and, and, and can lead the world into a better future. And it's exactly what happens. He creates, he creates the vision, um, which is his vision for the future, uh, creates it, it gets helped along the way, obviously, by Tony and by, by Bruce in a really interesting scene, which I'll talk about in a second. But, um, but yeah, and then it is just the two of them facing off and him being destroyed by Vision, which is great. It's not the Avengers that 
go up in one battle against Ultron and take Ultron out. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it on their own. They needed Vision. If they didn't have him, he wouldn't be. Uh, Ultron wouldn't be gone. It would ha- it had to be the Vision that did it. But I wanted to talk about the scene um, where he is created, essentially, where Tony takes on the idea that he's going to create something that could eventually destroy the planet, and the team are torn asunder uh, by this decision, essentially. So you have him working with Bruce Banner. You have that great... The, the great bonding between those two characters always works with the, with them working together on a science project. Essentially. It's always always good fun to see. Um, but then you have Captain America totally against this. You think Thor will be on Captain America's side because the two of them are so are such close characters. But in fact, it is Thor coming in, delivering the lightning strike, which brings uh, brings Vision to life, much like Frankenstein in the old Frankenstein films. But that whole sequence between those characters, where they're where they're t- totally torn asunder by a decision of Tony Stark, I thought was brilliant. I thought it was a really good, really good idea, and all because of the vision that was given to him by Wanda, by the Scarlet Witch, that if he doesn't do something, the world will be destroyed. And the decision he makes is to create the vision to protect the world from people like Ultron. All really well interconnected and all really well tied together. But uh, but yeah, I thought the creation of Vision is just fantastic, definitely. Yeah, they they, they did kind of hint at that Tony and Bruce had the Ultron project already in their minds hmm. before um, the Scepter was got. Um, so that they were working on this. We do see these with the Iron, the Iron Maiden armors, the five of them that look stupid and get acid on their face yeah. for years I was well ever since this film has been announced and we knew that Hank Pym uh, had not or will, would not in the MCU create Ultron mm-hmm. I did not understand how this would come about yeah. uh, I didn't understand Vision was always created by Ultron mm-hmm. in the comic book lore um, so we could I could see that um, but you there is a good reason and they did tie it together quite well about why Tony Stark he wants to retire. He wants they all want to retire. Yeah. He wants to create something or someone that will take over, that will take over the avenging for them. Um <clears throat> but actually more to the point, he talks about space, the Shatari, um, that there is a whole sky above them I think he says something like yeah, that yeah absolutely the question that's asked is why would you create something like that and he looks at Thor essentially saying because of people like you coming to our planet once again the similar kind of similar kind of thought that Nick Fury had for creating the Avengers when we see someone like you coming from another planet with the powers that you have which are like a god we need something to protect us as a planet we can't just use you know a bit of a bit of armor or a shield is not going to protect us from an entire invading force like the Shatari essentially yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was well done. Um, and I think credit Josh to Josh Whedon. Mm-hmm. He he did he did something that I say a lot of comic book geeks like us um, probably weren't too happy about. Mm-hmm. Like if they had have done this film one film later after Ant Man, mm-hmm. then we could have had quite a good thing there. Um, but I think giving it as Tony and Bruce created Ultron. Does does work for this yeah. film, but again, just so that to put it out there, we do not see Ultron die. We see Vision mm-hmm. hitting him with the mind gem, um, with a blast from it, but but then it's fade to trees and fade to light. Yeah, that's so, true. Again, it's a very standard comic booky thing, Absolutely. which is like we're not going to show you a dead body. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to show you put someone in the ground. As soon as you put someone in the ground, 
technically they're dead, but in all as all, with with all good comic book mm-hmm. superheroes, there is a level of resurrection detail here that they you can come back from the dead. Yeah, Except yeah. in Marvel Zombies. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, then you're already dead. Yeah, and you can definitely come back to life in yeah. that as well. Um, yeah, Nick Fury's been put in the dead, put in the ground quite a few times in the, in the movies already. So, uh, and he's come back, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been put in the dead, put in the put in the uh, in the ground twice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. um, but one question. Where the hell did he get the helicarrier? I know. Okay, it's like it's like I'll be back. Okay, Grant. I was expecting just a couple of choppers or mm-hmm. something, or him to come in guns blazing. But no, no, no. He picks up. He picks up a helicarrier with the shield logo. Anyone mm-hmm. else notice that? Yep. And Marie Hill's back there. So, um, for the, I think this is the that shield is coming back. So we, as you said, Marvel's Angel Shield is leading up to mm-hmm. the. We've got three episodes before the um, the this actually film is released in the states. So does this mean that Shield is back? Shield is renewed after um, Winter Soldier and all the Hydra kerfuffle. Mm. Um, but it was interesting. I just that, that was one again. We we have to keep saying it. This is this film is a suspension of disbelief. Absolutely, you've Absolutely. got men flying in iron suits and gods and blah blah. Yeah. And where Nick Fury picked up a helicarrier? Oh, it was just like parked over in the. I left it behind the the park, uh, the shopping mall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he does. He does say I got this out of mothballs. It's definitely a, a remnant of the of the Hydra Shield War that we saw in in Winter Soldier, and we're continuing to see within Agents of Shield. But I do have a note about it because I I am a huge Shield fan and a huge Nick Fury fan. I have a specific note about this. There are so many great connections in this film where they bring in. You know elements of of storylines that are on all the film, all the other films, and elements that are coming up in other in other films. Nick Fury arrives. There is a TV show that's been on air for two years, exploring the relationships of the characters of Shield. Essentially, he says the line, "I'm here with a couple of friends who've gotten this Shield helicarrier carrier out of mothballs. Where's Coulson? Where's Agent Coulson? Where's yeah. Sky? Where's all the characters we've been following on TV for so long?" It's just a set. They could have brought them down for 15 minutes and had them standing on the set, just pressing a couple of buttons. A little thing in the background. Why not? You know, they, they brought in so many other connections, but to not use your main characters from your main TV show for five minutes on this film, just to give a little bit of credence to that TV show that they say is connected to the MCU films, inexcusable for me. Uh, absolutely inexcusable. Yes, you've got Maria Hill, but she's another TV actress. There's no reason why you couldn't have had one more character from... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. appearing, it wouldn't ruin anything on the show other than maybe that character can't die, you know that character can't die on the TV show, perhaps, but I think it's I, I think it's a, 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 an annoyance to me that you didn't get at least Coulson in there, he is the Avenger from the first film and has led this team for a year and a half on television that we've been watching, why not throw him in the film for five minutes Again, he could have been this is the thing, they cut so much from that film mm-hmm. he could have been there, yeah. the whole team could have been there, but Maybe they decided that they wanted to just they want to take the show in another with another episode to say, oh, actually, they're somewhere else. Yeah, they're on the ground at the very bottom where the in the city when this is all lifting up, and uh, or they could be actually in the city and being in one of those lifeboats. Yeah, where which where we'll see another view point of view of the film. Yeah, where I think they are is actually at the 
beginning of the film where they attack on the Hydra base or Baron Struckers. I think that's where they are. That's where the team are at the moment in the TV show. I think that's they're getting to that point. They're getting to that base essentially because we see one of the characters of one of the Hydra leaders from the TV show. Yeah, it, we see I, him appear in that scene. Yeah, no, I mean, I really liked um, the fact that they introduced it was Doctor List, um, who's played by Henry Goodman, mm-hmm. that he was there. Um, in the uh, Hydra base, which actually I thought was ultimately cool as well, the old monastery there, sort of just in the head of the valley of with all the mountains around, I thought that was a really cool setting. But they they had him there uh, with Baron uh, von Strucker, so it would have been nice to have seen Colson maybe on the heli carrier. Definitely, I can I can get that. Yeah. If you're going to do that with Doctor List. Why not do it with some of the other Shield members of um, of the TV show? Yeah. Definitely. And there were even some leaked set photos from some time early last year that had one of the members of the cast, I think the character Trip, and they had him on uh, on the set of the Avengers. So he was definitely there, but definitely not shown on screen, unfortunately. But uh, so with that, I'm just going to go on to my next point, which is a bit of a negative point. We're about about halfway halfway through the points that I had, the the main points that I had. And it's the treatment of Baron von Strucker in this, right? In case you don't know, go right back to our first episode of The Defenders. My favourite character in the Marvel Universe is Nick Fury. He is my absolute favourite character and his big bad from back in the 60s. In fact, back in his war days as Sergeant Fury was Baron von Strucker. He's been around right back to, I think, issue five or six of, uh, of Sergeant Fury, the comic book. So that's gone back a long time before I was born even. Uh, and then we get the final introduction of this character. I remember him being cast, and when he looks great, it's a it's a, a great version of the character. And he turns into a one line spewing, fumbling bad guy who gets killed off screen. It was totally, totally against what I wanted to see for this character. He was just a a, a comedy sidekick essentially, just a bit of a joke, and then dies off screen. They go, oh, that's Baron von Strucker dead, and then they move on. It's an awful treatment of the character for me. I'm just not happy. No, that, not that's. Happy with that. That's one of my points as well. I think uh, von Strucker would never have ended on a whimper like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't imagine, uh, given the instructive and seminal comics from um, the 70s and 80s, that mm-hmm. he wouldn't have an escape plan. I mean, this guy is a calculated mastermind on equal with uh, Nick Fury. As such, you would expect him to have all these backup plans to be able to get a shield heli carrier out of Mothball in order to escape. The things that uh, Nick Fury is doing on the other side, you would quite reasonably expect Von Strucker to do the same. And I, I, I think that fell completely flat to me. Um, It was a really poor treatment of a big central character um, from um, S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury's Mm. uh, arcs. I'm absolutely with you on that. That was one of my negatives. Because as well, I was just really looking forward to seeing this character brought to life in the same way that had been done with the Red Skull. And obviously then with the Winter Soldier, just that central battle between Hydra uh, and S.H.I.E.L.D. And for me, I felt as though this potentially hits the nail in the coffin of Hydra slowly being made redundant or mm-hmm. reduced in the MC universe as we're starting to, to move it to other worlds, into outer space and... Um, to astral planes. I'm not complaining as such, <laughs> but um, I still also do like some of the the grounded back-to-earth 
elements of, of, of these characters just as much as the astral planes of Doctor Strange right. 2016. Yeah, and so, <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Definitely with you on that. Yeah, so a bit, of, a bit of nerd tears over here of the death of, uh, <laughs> of, of Baron von Strucker. Um, yeah. I think, I, well, we, we know Josh Whedon is pulling a lot of the Ultimates Mm-hmm. Um, in this, for the MCU is heavily influenced by the Ultimates, from the costumes to yeah. to a lot of even the backstory. I don't know. Strucker is survives in the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, Shield in the Ultimate Universe is a very different organization than they are in uh, in Six One Six is the regular uh, Marvel Universe. They're a very different organization. Strucker really do, it doesn't play much of a part in that version of uh, of Nick Fury's um, character, but he pay, plays such a big part to the creation of Nick Fury and you know the, he's the opposite side of the coin to Nick Fury for the most part for so many years and in, in that as I say a little bit of nerd nerd tears here for for his death because he's such a central character to Nick Fury's past for me and just a little bit misused in the film he could have been ex-Hydra leader he didn't need to be called Baron Strucker now they can't use that character again which is unfortunate for me yeah and I I, I think I think what we'll poor probably Irene, end up getting... Poor Irene's giving me the saddest puppy dog look here, going, <laughs> looking at the fact that I've been disappointed by Baron Strucker. Aww. But thanks, Irene. No, because you're being a plucky little trooper about it, but I know it's upset you. <laughs> <laughs> to the whiskey cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think we'll go on to Chris for his next point. Um, okay, I'm going to end my points on the end scene. Okay. The, the credit scenes. The, the Marvel is known... For their usual mid-credit mm-hmm. and their end-credit scenes, mm-hmm. so we always have two nice mm, kind of teasers at the end. Um, first of all, we only had one; we That's had right. mid-credit. That's right. Um, and Josh that, did stick to his promise that he would not have yeah, an end-credit end credit. Se- yeah. sequence. He came out very far in advance of this film and said, "We will not have an end credit. Yeah. You don't need to sit there and watch all the credits." We all sat there and watched all the credits to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and just quickly before you go on with the point, sorry, Chris. Um, quickly to point out, the Avengers Assemble when it was released in Ireland again a couple of weeks before the US version did not have an end credit sequence that was shot at the London premiere with all the cast and put-ins. That's the shawarma sequence most people will know about. That was shot at the London premiere and put on to the end of it, uh, onto the end of the movie, only for American audiences. So it is quite possible when the movie gets released in the US, they could have an extra credit sequence, which we didn't get. But back to your point. And that's exactly my point. Um, it's that we should we should have got a end credit sequence. Um, okay, so... Despite all the talks and nods to Ant Man, mm-hmm. um, to Doctor Strange, oh. to Civil War, uh, even a vague suggestion that we may see Spider Man, thanks to Danny Elfman's presence on the poster. That's right. See, I knew yes. I knew Danny was something. Yeah, but he did, that's he did not explained. Yeah. yeah, that was it. <laughs> that's it. Um, and but I, I thought there was going to be something, but all we got was. And I, I'm a cyn- I'm cynical really about this, mm-hmm. which is all we got was Thanos. Yes. Walking up to the Infinity Gauntlet and going, fine, I guess I have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. This, to me, made no sense. Mm-hmm. Because if that had have been in Guardians of the Galaxy, right. that would have made sense mm-hmm. because he was directly slightly involved in that. Yes, yeah. Um, he was not involved in this film. Mm-hmm. He had no, he was not pulling any strings that we know of. Uh-huh. And unless they explain this in a later part or later film or later end credit. Yeah, no. Ultron specifically says there's no strings on them. So yeah, you're right, yeah. And but so why? 
I know they want to set up the Infinity War. Yes. So that makes sense. Yes, kind of. But I do agree with you. I think we've had enough set up. Yeah, we know it's coming. Yeah, the person that was sitting beside me in the cinema uh, specifically stood up at this point as he watched this credit sequence, stood up and left the cinema going, yep, so we've basically gotten another setup for this character. If we continue get to get this number of setups, it's going to take us 25 years to get yeah. the film that Thanos is actually in. This is the fourth piece of setup that we've had just shoved into Marvel films. And you're absolutely right. This piece could have been just at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy and it would have made more sense. So you're right. Maybe the fact that we're watching it directly after Age of Ultron makes us feel he's what he's talking about is the film we've just watched. I'll have to do it myself. But maybe you're right. Maybe he is talking about what happened in Guardians of the Galaxy makes less sense as to why it's here other than we have a spare credit sequence but we just shove it in at the end over there it doesn't feel like something that's connected they absolutely should have been setting up one of the films that seems quite uh, difficult to set up like Doctor Strange or Ant-Man or even Black Panther which had a reference in this film maybe they should have set up one of those films rather than trying to set up the same film again Um, yeah. yeah I actually thought you could have had a guy meditating or something. Mm. I know it depends on whether Doctor Strange is an origin story or not. I mean, there's been talk that it might not be and that maybe it deals with the origin slightly in flashback throughout the the main story. Mm-hmm. But you could have had some kind of uh, zoomed out view of just this house in Greenwich with, yeah. with the round window, with the symbol, moving through and just someone doing, whether it's Tai Chi or meditating... And that's all you needed. You didn't even need much, um, any dialogue or anything like that. Just the image of it to to lead into this idea of phase three. Um, I'm not entirely sure I like Thanos. I don't like... He looks like a meathead and (laughs) that's purple. And I don't know, like even in Guardians of the Galaxy, the aesthetic of him just turned me off. I couldn't take him seriously. It kind of looked like he was more likely to fall over because of how heavy his gold suit was than be (laughs) anything of any power. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, it's a bit like with this end thing, okay, I'll do it myself. Well, why didn't you do that four movies ago? And it's kind of like, he's a bit stupid for uh, (laughs) for this all-powerful creature. I'm not too sure at the moment I'm buying into Thanos at all. Right. I'm looking forward to the Infinity Wars, don't get me wrong, but it's just, at the moment, I think he's he's had too much of this. I, I agree with yeah. it. It would have been nice to have moved on to something different, like Black Panther, something that related, but, yeah, hopefully Thanos becomes less meat-heady. Yeah, you did say last week that uh, when we were doing our, our last Daredevil podcast that if there wasn't Doctor Strange at the end of this film, you were going to be very disappointed, so this obviously is a disappointing scene for you yeah yeah it, it is a bit i mean maybe you'll be in um uh, the net the captain america civil war and i'm wondering does it make sense to be in that because mm-hmm. in the civil war dr strange essentially um sits back on his astral pe- plane and, and watches it all play out really annoyingly to fans of dr strange it's like you know you're a game changer yeah. you know if you can banish the hulk but they, they take the easy way out with him yeah which is, oh, I'll sit here on the astral plane and meditate. No, get him involved. Writers write about him something meaningful other than him going hom, 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 you know. And that's the thing. It wouldn't, to me, make sense in the Civil War. 
maybe they'll do it with Ant-Man because he's technically the start of Phase 3 yeah, and Doctor Strange is, is Phase 3. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm now holding out for Ant-Man. For me, if they had have just been, we get a shot of the White House, you get a shot behind picture of the President of the United States, mm-hmm. so it could have just been anyone, probably like a Brack, um, like the Brack is in the, the, the some of the, the comics now, um, and it was literally, sir, we have the bill ready to go in front of the cabinet, and it's just a shot of a file that says Superhuman Registration Act. Yep. Yeah, something And like something that. like that, that... Which people people would have had to go, oh, what? And you go off and look it up and you see that this is related to the Civil War. Yeah. yeah. And I think coming back to the whole descent between Captain America and Iron Man over Vision and some of the other setups uh, in the film as well that hint at the Civil War, mm-hmm. that too would have made sense. I completely agree. It's that even just the premise of this film and of Ultron's sort of aim to tear them apart which is ultimately what Civil War does obviously by, by the title that would have been a great end credit sequence but definitely they, they end it with Captain America and Iron Man best of buddies again mm. with, and Cap wishes Tony all the best they're not snapping at each other mm-hmm. there's no sniding remarks it's their buddies again they're, yeah. they're colleagues and these two are all, will always be yes but just a, a little quick note on Civil War. Civil War never starts because the two of them are on opposing sides. It starts because the two of them are on the same side and Tony makes a decision that Cap doesn't agree with and that's what breaks them apart as buddies. So you don't need to set up that they are estranged or no longer friends. You need to set up that they are on the same side and they do believe in the same things and they absolutely are on the side of right. And then Tony makes a decision to go with doing the Superhuman Registration Act, which is totally against what Cap believes in. So you've definitely set up that the two of them have different belief systems, that uh, that Tony believes in things like creating Vision or creating Ultron to protect the world, whereas Cap believes that the people of the world should protect themselves. And um, That's something that we've already gotten a little bit in this film. There's a great little line earlier on where I think it's Maria Hill arrives and, and says to says to Tony, uh, hi, Hi, uh, you're the leader here or something like that and Tony says I'm not the leader here I just provide all the equipment give all the training fly the ship <laughs> he's the captain of the leader um, so there's a little bit of a little bit of tension there but only a little bit only a little bit of touches I think that's all you kind of need between those two characters at the moment Civil War should tear them asunder as great friends going to different sides of a, a particular um, issue I suppose that's what I think yeah no and it makes sense I, I, I actually didn't take that from that scene right. I took from that scene that in the comic books Maria Hill becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. and then also Tony becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. and I took that as a nod to that we may see him become the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as, and that could be where it sets up which is now that in Cap uh, Civil War Iron Man is retired and he retires to become the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. because Nick Fury is dead. Um, and then that could be explained what the coming of the Cape Killers coming from S.H.I.E.L.D., etc., etc. There's a lot. We're, we're, so much we're, 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 yeah, 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 But yeah. the thing is, definitely a foreboding of what happens in Civil War is this idea of dissent. And I think that shift then to an end credit set around the White House, I think sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, listen um, to our podcast. We give you all the best ideas to talk yeah. about. <laughs> Josh, if you're listening, pay me. My number is... <laughs> <laughs> 
But actually, I think my next point, which is also my final point, is mm-hmm. Ultron. I actually thought he was really quite fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Spader's James Spader's intonation and how he delivered the lines. I liked how it reflected on his creator, Tony Stark. So they were both cocky, quippy. They delivered their lines with, with a slight sort of arrogance and, and all-knowingness. Was, it reflected his creator, Tony Stark, and I really just liked that. I loved the different phases from sort of the the slightly... Um, Pinocchio-esque. St- yeah, Pinocchio-esque, stumbling sort of former Iron Man suit to then a phase two, mm-hmm. and then ultimately to the phase three where he rips through fa- the the phase two Ultron suit yeah. Yeah. in his new Vibranium outfit. That I just really liked, and I, th- I thought it was a great performance ultimately. Yeah. I loved the scene where he's there on what looks like a throne in the middle of the church with um, the Maximoff twins coming in. That, to me, was fantastic. Um, and I just love some of the, the the battle scenes that he had, especially the one in Korea, in South Korea, where the, the, he's just created the vision mm. and they're, they're trying to ship him out and he's under attack. And that fight with um, Captain America uh, on top of the, the, the truck was really, really cool. I think as well, just in terms of that reflection of Tony Stark in Ultron, mm-hmm. I did also like, and uh, kind of mentioned previously about you know Captain America being experimented on. There was a an empathy of Captain America with the Maximoff twins as well, yeah. which I really kind of liked. That suggested this common understanding of what they had been through in order to get where they were with these superpowers and mm-hmm. um, through experimentation and that i thought was a really nice little nod as well about empathy so for me i thought james spader was excellent just he got the voice right it, it was really sort of sarcastic and and dismissive of anything human and that was perfect yeah yeah absolutely I thought the way that his jokes, the whole way through, obviously there's loads, there's loads of one-liners and loads of jokes, mm-hmm. and it keeps it really light and it's really fast and really light. But then when Ultron's one-liners, they're different. They have a malevolence about them. Like even when he's with um, Andy Serkis, I was gonna say Ulysses, um, and he's like, "Oh, sorry, like, I didn't mean to rip your arm off," but like he clearly didn't. He wasn't being <laughs> gentle. You know, there's a different tone completely then to all the little, the more like little snarky jibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he took a lot of his character from the character he plays in Blacklist. Right, right. Because you see this, you hear that snarkiness, the the violence, the everything. He was a scene stealer. Mm-hmm. He really, he was fantastic. Yeah. The the, yeah. the scene you talk about when he walks in, um, and when the the Maximoff twins walk in, and he's there dressed as the Crimson Cow, which is the nod back to. Um, the comics where he controlled lots of other villains before mm-hmm. he revealed himself as Ultron. Yeah. Um, he was literally under a cowl, and that was that nod. Thank you, Josh, by the way. Um, but every scene he was in where you saw him, even that the, the scene with Natasha, and he's talking to her and he's locking her away, mm-hmm. that was brilliant. And yeah, when he rips number two apart, he every time, every version of himself that he created he became more and more I didn't like the use of Inside Korea where he was using Helen Chow or mm-hmm. Dr. Chow um, because 
actually this is again a nerd part Dr. Chow he, she has a son right she's a complete Z-lister she's mm-hmm. just a, a special doctor her son in the comic books is the sixth smartest man in the world okay interesting. and I would have preferred to see that the son helped figure right. it out and he was a geneticist etc etc but this fine look again it's it's the ultimate universe mm-hmm. it's it's the MCU they can do all these things but any scene where Ultron was in he stole it even that end scene with the vision yeah he vision got the one liner mm-hmm. I was born yesterday which was great it was <laughs> I still I do love it yeah. but James Bader for me took more because he was like he knew he was about to die but he was still like why do you care yeah why why can't you see what I was doing right it's the uncompromisingness of yes, him. Yes, yeah. exactly. Even where, okay, he might not be dead, but if we just assume he is, even in the face of being annihilated by a more powerful uh, being that yeah. he's helped bring in, bring to life and to create, he's still in his face about what he's doing. He doesn't falter. He's totally yeah. uncompromising, and that was great, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and uh, talk about how... how difficult a job as an actor that must be to be a scene stealer in a film like the Avengers with six huge actors in this film that have that have essentially have been growing these parts for years they all know these characters so well and then to come in as the new villain in the movie and have to be a scene stealer have to be a person that you know takes over stuff from so many other characters that you know Robert Downey Jr. alone must be difficult to get lines when you're, when you're standing in the same room as that character you know but he wasn't but, even in the film but, and that's a bit he was CGI'd majority of it that's right yeah. I don't I, I don't even know if he did an Andy Serkis where he was stood on set with, with a, a mask and all the bodysuit I don't actually I'll yeah. have to see it behind CV Dreads we'll have to see it was probably Andy Serkis doing that yeah while, <laughs> while, it's uh, like they hired him for two roles and exactly. he was like by the way you're going to stand there and you're going to stand but exactly no. while Spader's sitting in his trailer just uh, calling his lines over the phone but fantastically delivered though it's just a really good delivery from this actor who's been around since the 80s absolutely but I wouldn't consider him an A-lister as such like he's been around for years but he hasn't done huge films Uh, a lot of indie films that have gotten a lot of recognition like Sex, Lies and Videotape like Stargate Stargate oh come on Crash like Stargate was huge he was in the quieter way Crash like, yes yeah. but I was thinking of the other Crash it was yeah. the Oscar winning film you know yeah he's Stargate. in the quieter more sex one that's right yes that's right yes. maybe the louder one I remember uh, having my eyes burnt out at that one <laughs> Secretary yes. Um, yeah. yeah less said about that one yeah. the better okay but this um, is perhaps one of his best roles this has yes. catapulted him to celebrity status of an A-lister where he is now on par with Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Mm -hmm. Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson. Okay, well, Scarlett Johansson's hotter. (laughs) A lot hotter. And Spader? Yeah, come on, I'm sorry. (laughs) I I do like Spader's flat caps. Okay, is Uh, that the shoes? Yeah, it's kind of like the coal mining in hat. Oh, no, no. Right, I think we should move oh, on yeah, to the next note. one. <laughs> I do like the way they had the work that they did with him beforehand with the face, because the lips are Spader's lips, and that's what I just could not stop staring at. <laughs> Every time Ultron was on the screen, I was just, he was talking, I was like, that's Spader's mouth. I know what you mean, but there was a definite lippy thing going he has, on. He has yeah. the unfortunate thin lip 
thing going on. Right. And the and Ultron could have had any mouth. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> but they gave him Spader's mouth, which is kind of It's mean. a really nice touch though. It's, it's a really, really nice, nice touch, touch to, to connect really him with the actor, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah really good point there. Um do you want to give us your next point or your final point? Um oh yeah, all I have left is where was Loki? All right. I yeah. missed him. Yeah. I didn't think Thor and Cap are great, but I missed Loki. It's it's interesting, isn't it? They brought they brought Tom Hiddleston into almost every film Everything. they possibly yeah. could. They've had it. They've had a moment with him, and you're right. He isn't. He isn't around in this one. Yeah. I think the last we saw of, uh, of Loki, if I remember correctly, was in Thor: The Dark World, um, yeah. where he is presumed dead. Loki will never die. No character will die. He's presumed dead, but has actually taken the form of Odin in uh, in Asgard. So he's taken the form of uh, of Thor's father and is now ruling over Asgard in hiding. So it would have been very difficult for for them to. On work him and in. work him yeah. in, maybe. Yeah, yeah. so good, but good point. Yeah, like I was he's tempted to pull out my phone and look at that, look for that <laughs> at one stage, but I couldn't. <laughs> Where's Loki? Where's Loki? I actually think, again, we, he probably was in that Ragnarok scene where Thor mm-hmm. is having his vision, um, and when we see, um, we see Ezra's elbow. Um, and I was expecting again, there's so much of this film cut out. Mm-hmm. He probably was, it wasn't. I mean, again, the woman, I, I'll bring this up again, the woman in uh, black who walks into the pool yeah. that was seen in all the credits and we had huge speculation, was she a Wakandian? Was she uh, such and such? Was she this? Was she that? None of that mm-hmm. was in there. Yeah. So again, yeah. until we see the A, the American version and B, the director's cut when it comes to Blu-ray probably or we see more featurettes, yeah. then I would go, okay, no, he wasn't. So for Tom Hiddleston, they probably just went actually he's that much of a star mm-hmm. there's no point just giving him a cursory cameo, cameo. yeah yeah um, but saying that it, it made Stanley famous That's again <laughs> so you're saying Tom Lee, Tom Hiddleston is actually going to take the form of Stanley in the future oh, oh maybe maybe Loki is Stanley yeah possibly he could I'm, he could be anybody so he could it could possibly be yeah. Stanley I think Loki probably could have stopped Thor wearing a hoodie I do love Eric Selvig's <laughs> nod to that where he looks at him and goes even you're, you're trying but you're not even close to looking in, inconspicuous no, in that hoodie over there not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good little point yeah. one of the other things I thought was really interesting was the aspect that Thor did seem somewhat detached from the other Avengers in this film he seemed um, to have other things on his mind That's right. and he was the one that the vision uh, given to him by um, Scarlet, which seemed to impact the most. And I wonder, you know, it's obviously, again, it's a setup and a nod to Ragnarok, but like he even said he had other things to attend to and, and go back to Asgard. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether it links to the fact that he realises that his father isn't his father anymore, a bit uh, in, a, in a spooky way, that there's something up there. Or is it purely to do with Ragnarok? But it did seem that Thor was taken out of that group a couple of times within mm. this film um, that detached him from the Avengers a bit, um, which seemed a bit strange to me. Yeah, yeah. Now, when he was in there, he was great. I love some of the quips that came uh, from Thor uh, throughout this movie. Like you were saying about the one where he says, my, my girlfriend's prize, the Nobel Prize, is better than Pepper Potts. Running the company. Yeah, running the company. Yeah. So it was like, I, I loved his quips, but 
he was also taken out of it a bit. I yeah. felt sometimes. I kind of I kind of feel after a, uh, you know, a slightly disappointing film like Thor two, it didn't do as big money in the box office, I suppose, which is what they judge these things on as Captain America: Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy. It probably has a bit of a bigger job for Marvel to set that up because it is still one of their top tier movies. All the other ones they're introducing, they may fail, they may do well, they may not. Um, but Thor Ragnarok is probably the biggest challenge they have with one of their major characters, so they definitely needed to give Thor something to do in the film, something to do with his character, and to say he also runs, you know, the Asgardian realm. Essentially, he's also you know one of the leaders of that of that uh, that section. So they probably need to set it up a little bit. But yeah, that's a that's a really good point, Irene. I wonder it was finding out where Loki is. You know, he's a character that unfortunately doesn't appear in here, and one of the only ones that doesn't really. There's quite a lot of characters appearing in here. So, go on, give us your final one, Derek. My final point, because I have to say it, because I waited for it for years to see this, and I think we all have in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Hulkbuster versus Hulk. Oh. <laughs> in, the, in the movie Iron Man 3, there's a, there's a scene where loads of armor appears, that, that is Tony Stark's armor, about 15, 16, 20, whatever, hundreds of different armors appear, and one of them in there looked a little bit like a gigantic suit that Tony would wear if he's fighting against Hulk. That they decided to do in this film was build a, a proper set of armor that could actually take on Hulk. The one thing I loved about this scene and what really stood out to me was they gave it a genuine feeling like Hulk was in danger. There was a point where Hulk could actually be knocked out by this armor. They genuinely thought about how you would build something that could take on a being as powerful as the Hulk. And that's what I loved. It's happened in comic books quite a lot where there's a fight between Iron Man and Hulk. He's the genius that can build anything and he's now built a set of armor that can take on the Hulk, and it's it's brilliant to me. I just thought it was it was classic. It's you know bits of it are being taken off and and ripped apart, and other bits are attaching as he's fighting. Essentially, loads of stuff going on. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, the pneumatic drill fits. Yeah, oh, that was brilliant. brilliant. Classic. And classic. That, I think that harked back to the original Avengers film where Hulk is smashing one of the Shatari uh-huh. back and back and back. That's like that. nice. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was really good. Yeah. A great way of doing it. It's just really cool to see it. It's something that we've that I've been waiting for since I was a kid and saw this in the comic book, seeing Iron Man take on Hulk and wondering how they would actually work it into the films and seeing some you know elements of it as we build up uh, throughout the other movies, elements building up to this film and seeing that final fight on screen was great. No, I really liked the Hulkbuster as well. I thought it was pretty awesome. I liked the fact that it was called Veronica, um, which was great. <laughs> um, they, they had the prison as well. And I, I wondered whether... Hulk's decision or even maybe Banner's decision to um, to leave at the end yes that's got a lot to do with Black Widow but did the Hulk know this whole suit of armour and the prison and Veronica was floating in orbit uh, mm-hmm. above the earth did he know that or was this a total surprise And because obviously the memories between Banner and Hulk are transferring across yeah. he does remember so if they're keeping that from him, is this the start of that suspicious element and maybe where Hulk is starting to maybe want to take control over over Banner more and, and lead to that kind of um, split in the relationship between Banner and Hulk? I thought that could be an interesting little slant on it um, because presumably they did never tell him. Mm-hmm. Of course not, no, 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 wouldn't think so. So I really like that for that reason, definitely, yeah. yeah. yeah so I think that's all of our major points for uh, for the review of, of Avengers Age of Ultron. Anybody got any notes or anything else that, that stood out to you over the course of the of the movie? For me, it's just 
I'm going to need to watch this about another 10, 11, 12, 20, 30, 40 times. <laughs> I know I will see bits after bits after bits and nods after nods. Mm-hmm. Like, apparently, there was a Firefly nod that I missed. And um, that was Josh Whedon did say he nodded to all the brown coats out there. Mm-hmm. I know if I go back, Josh Whedon's great for Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. I'm, I love catching them, so I'll go through this with a fine tooth comb. Um, I'm hoping to see the full American version mm-hmm. when it's released because, as you said, with the shawarma scene, they probably have theatrical US versions Possibly. versus theatrical U- European versions. Yeah. So that would be something fantastic. For all its split personality mm-hmm. in parts, it came together um, and we did see the Avengers assemble and then the Avengers disassemble, Mm -hmm. and then the Avengers assemble, Mm -hmm. and then the Avengers disassemble, and then a new group of Avengers cut to black. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, the Avengers reassemble. (laughs) Yes, definitely. John, do you have any other notes on the movie? No, I think my main uh, points have all been covered, really, yeah. Mm -hmm. Irene, anything else stood out to you about the movie? No, just get a big bag of mind gems and go and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, one one tiny little note for me that I, I don't think we actually mentioned was just bringing in Falcon and War Machine. Just thought it great to have Don Cheadle in the film, which we did talk about, but great to have War Machine in the film. Great to see a couple of good scenes with, with War Machine coming in and taking his rightful place alongside the Avengers. Uh, he really did have some good fight sequences, but definitely doesn't form part of the Avengers. He is a little bit standoff from that side of them but can absolutely form part of the new Avengers team that's that's created at the end. How do, how do you think about the new Avengers? So we've got Scarlet Witch, Vision, um, War Machine, and... Falcon. Falcon, of course Falcon, because I just mentioned him. I should, <laughs> I should have known that. And then Cap and Black Widow. And Cap and Black, Black Widow leading the team, essentially. But this is going to be our Avengers that will go out and essentially scour the world for places like the Hydra bases. They're the ones that are going to be doing... In, in between films that are going to be the ones that are doing the big jobs so do you think they could lead a, an Avengers film like Avengers Infinity War Part 1 do you think they will be our lead Avengers for the start of that film or for most of that film no no honestly I think these guys are unfortunately Falcon and War Machine will always be second string players okay um, now, until until certain things that happen in comic books that mm-hmm. we will not get into okay um, I was going to get into it. I'm, okay, I was, okay. I'm purely going to say until Falcon takes up that that, that uh, shield and until War Machine takes on the Iron Man armor, which I think is absolutely going to happen in these films at some point. Yeah, I think they will happen, but similar to, like you could say, Pepper Potts mm-hmm. took up the Iron Man armor and then she later on became rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, yes, we'll get brief things, but they don't have the star power okay. of a Chris Evans and a Robert Downey Jr. Right. Um, they, they, these... Vision is a yes. Vision will stay. Uh-huh. He is a great character. He's got the star power with Paul Bettany. Yeah. Um, Don Cheadle, he's good. Yeah. But it, like the joke in the film, he kind of goes, oh, he tells a joke and he goes, this would have killed with anyone else. And then he tells the joke again and he kills with the normal people. Yeah. He's not ready for prime time. Right. Um, he's still got his TV show as well, mm-hmm. um, The he House of Lies. Um, yeah. And then with um, Falcon... We've got um, he is he is great, but he keeps he always says that this is not I let you do the avenging, right. avenging, right. and it's true he may come up later. But actually, if anyone's going to pick up the, the the shield, it will be Bucky Barnes, possibly uh, most likely. Mm-hmm. But no, I think they they're good for the new Avengers, quote mm-hmm. unquote. But we're always going to have main Iron Man, Marvel, and Disney 
will be foolish mm-hmm. if they let Chris Evans and the main Avengers contracts run out. Yeah. Throw millions at these guys because mm-hmm. we all now feel that Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Chris Evans is Captain America. Yeah. Um, Scarlett Johansson is the Black Widow. They need that star power. They, I think they will. Yeah. I think you, I think you can correct me if I'm right or wrong here. I now, will. <laughs> is that Robert Downey Jr. Originally, this was going to be his last film mm-hmm. as Iron Man, but I believe he's resigned now I for th- think, an undisclosed number. I think he has, but I think one of the important things here with the new Avengers is Disney are giving themselves a safety net. That's that's what I feel about about the new Avengers. I think they're giving themselves a safety net. Any single member of that cast could come back in for negotiations and say, "I want twenty million a film." And now they can go, hey, hold on a second, we've set up the fact that you don't need to be in the next one. You know. Um, sorry, Chris, you know, you're gone now. We don't need you as the as the leader of this team. We've got a vision now. We've got we've got Scarlett Johansson, you know. And they're kind of setting up that. So we're still getting rid of you for Scarlett yeah, Johansson. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I, I, okay, that'd be fair. <laughs> um, okay, that is fine. I actually think if anything they're setting up is that they're gonna spin off an Avenger new Avengers film. Potentially. Where yeah. they'll do they'll have the that means they can do a cheaper film. Mm-hmm. With some cheaper actors mm-hmm. and still get away with it. Yeah. Or these cheaper actors will and can fall into Agents of Shield or yeah. the new spin off that we know is happening from Agents of Shield mm-hmm. or Peggy Carter. Like yeah. they bring these people in and because it's all this one big unit, they can bring the crossover. So, like, we yeah. have heard the latest rumors that Doc Strange is going to turn up in The Iron Fist. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I hope so. Mm-hmm. I so hope so. <laughs> I just want to see Doctor Strange on the TV, on film. <laughs> Absolutely, on everywhere, really. Everything. Yeah, yeah. It'll be brilliant, can't wait. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, Now that we see them, they can interchange, definitely. I thought it was kind of interesting because it was Jimmy Kimmel's show and they had... They had the Avengers team there on on the sofa and they had questions from members of the public and Clark Gregg came on. That's right. And he was talking about coming on the show and so on. And all of a sudden, I really got the distinct impression from these film or cinema actors that this idea of moving to TV was something that, to be honest, they wouldn't necessarily be prepared to do. We've seen Samuel L. Jackson show up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but the one thing I'm really pleased about with Doctor Strange, with, with it being uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, is that on Sherlock, he's he's happy to move between TV and film. Mm-hmm. And so he probably would be absolutely on board and happy to do that transfer the, between the big screen and the small screen. Uh, but it was really odd. I got a, an impression when I heard this discussion between Clark Gregg and then the Avengers that... As soon as he said about coming on the show, they were all like, mm, oh, "I don't think so." It's just the way I kind of interpreted it, and I thought it was a bit. <laughs> it was strange. a lovely scene, and they did, and they did very much say, "You're welcome back to the Avengers movie if you want to come back from your TV show." Basically, if you can come, you can come back to the Avengers and play Agent Coulson again. Um, but no, we're not going to be appearing on your TV show anytime soon. Yeah, but that old but, rivalry between TV and film, I just thought it was a bit strange, given how great TV is at the moment and what you can do on the TV screen. I just Mm -hmm. thought it was a bit odd sort of getting that vibe. Do you think that could actually be Disney just saying, shh, say nothing? Maybe, yeah. We're going to have you in. We're going to have you in this episode of something of of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of whatever, or Hydra, Agents of... Like, to be fair, Marvel and Disney have 
huge amounts of canon mm-hmm. to go through. We do know we're getting a, a Shield TV show yep. point two. We've still got Marvel Agents of Shield ongoing. We've got Peggy Carter coming for a second season. Sure. We have obviously Daredevil and all the Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say that these new contracts that Chris Evans and Rob Down Jr. and Mark Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo, thank you very much. They all could in their contracts have a, a, an X undefined number of cameos mm-hmm, absolutely. because there's nothing better yeah. we all love when we see someone who goes yay oh my god that in this show where you don't expect to see someone when Samuel Jackson turned up in one of the first episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. we all went oh, brilliant yeah, yeah. and that, it just tied the universe very well because we're all fans mm-hmm. some people who watch these shows aren't and this allows it to tie the, the universe or these cinematic absolutely. experiences together absolutely and I will say I do have one final note to just kind of close us out before we go into our recommendations uh, one final note probably because we've been covering so much of Daredevil over the last couple of weeks a uh, little moment for me got a little, got a little tear in my eye just for a very weird reason um, when the team land at Avengers Tower early on the scene that they essentially where the scene is shot from the point of view of the shot was where the Avengers Tower was in the original Daredevil motion poster that we saw right so essentially the team were flying over Hell's Kitchen to arrive at Avengers Tower and I had that little moment of oh little Matt Murdock's down just <laughs> over just over the horizon there Matt Murdock's fighting fighting for his little city which I which I like that was just a little a little thing in my head it wasn't an easter egg it was just a little moment in my head where I went that's where we're watching now, just that, that little town there that those guys have just flown overhead of. And mm. I think, the, uh, now, your listeners will have to correct us, and please write back in the feedback. I believe when they fly over Hell's Kitchen and go on to Avengers Towers, there was a memorial of some kind. Oh, really? Um, so that looks like, okay, this was where the Shatari hit, mm-hmm. and we do know, we know all about the incident, quote-unquote, from yep. Daredevil. I thought I saw a memorial, and the very ending credits... We see another memorial mm-hmm. possibly being created out of marble. By the way, Marvel, if you create, must buy merchandise, create that statue from the very end scene. I think all of us <laughs> yeah, would buy yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, That's so. amazing That's looking. That's very cool. I think so. So on that note, Chris, I think we might know the answer to this one, but do you defend Avengers Age of Ultron? No. I, of course, I'm only joking. <laughs> this film is a must-see. Um, there will be elements where you go, oh, what? Her. <laughs> suspend your disbelief suspend all belief going in this is the perfect successor to Avengers okay or Avengers Assemble depending on which country you're listening from is it as good as all the other films in the MCU that are out there such as Winter Soldier and stuff personally just falls under Winter Soldier and then is above Avengers 1 so for me it's a yes go see I defend excellent Irene do you defend Avengers Age of Ultron Absolutely. Just let it wash over you and strap yourself in. <laughs> you're, if you haven't seen it yet and you've made it this far, <laughs> why? But you're forewarned about the start of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We gave you enough warning. Embraced for the second viewing of the start of it being just mental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> John, do you defend Avengers Age of Ultron? Yes, I just defend the Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that I do really like in this and I love the whole story around Scarlet Witch. I think what she adds to the film is fantastic. I think it just escapes from being completely overloaded um, and being too busy for um, a lot of moviegoers. Even for, for myself, sometimes I was kind of 
my my brain was beginning to explode. Um, it was quite hot in the cinema as well, so yeah. maybe there was that aspect. Um, but I think Joss Whedon kept it on track and on board, uh, despite all those elements being brought in. Um, and of those, actually, I did really enjoy the Wakanda um, side of it uh, and seeing uh, Ulysses and seeing that whole ship graveyard. Um, but for me, I do just defend the Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of give it um, 3.5 visions out of 5 visions. Nice. nice. <laughs> what about yourself, Derek? Do you defend Avengers Age of Ultron? I do, I do. I do have some similar problems that John has with the film. Uh, some of the elements that I was looking forward to, I felt were a bit overloaded. There are so many references in here, so many layered references. to stuff that you may not have seen. We're, we're ten, what, ten films into this, two, three, four TV series into this now. Um, there is so much that's layered in here, and you can get lost if you don't, if you try and pay attention to every single moment of this film and try and pick up every single Easter egg and try and get every connection, which is unfortunate. What I want to see when I go to any film is a good film, something that's enjoyable, something that's well-written and something about the characters, but Joss Whedon pulls it off. Um, the characters themselves are actually really well worth watching. Some of the stuff with, as we said earlier on, with Wanda and Pietro is great. Some of the stuff with, with Cap and Thor I thought was fantastic. They put together between those two characters showing how connected they are. Some of the elements between Tony and between um, between Bruce are great. I thought the love story between Bruce and Natasha was actually really good. I thought it was quite well put together. I thought there was a reason behind it. I thought, you know, she's looking at someone that's very different from uh, from anybody that she's been with before. And, you know, she's rocking it with a nurse, you know. It's perfect she's for looking her. at another monster. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. But I, overall, I do think it's it's pretty well balanced as a film. And I do think it's a really enjoyable night out. Um, I definitely would put it anywhere near the level of Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier is a stunning film, and to end for me, it's my perfect type of film anyway. Uh, this is a superhero film. Winter Soldier is my perfect spy movie, so uh, right up there. I'd probably put it a bit lower than The Avengers, personally. I thought Loki's presence in the last film was fantastic and really added a little bit more than, than Spider's uh, performance as Ultron in this film. But yeah, overall, I do defend this film, definitely. So thank you so much uh, again for for listening. We will be back with Defenders TV podcast episode 13, back on Marvel Netflix's Daredevil episode 8. To catch those podcasts as as well as this, you can listen to us at defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Leave a review there. You can also search Defenders TV podcast uh, to find us on any other good podcast catcher. You can also tweet at us at DefendersCast and like our page and join our group on Facebook at Defenders TV Podcast. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. And if you want to send us your thoughts on Avengers Age of Ultron, you can always email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com, just like one of our listeners. So this uh, feedback comes from uh, Mr. Ben Rush, who I believe is from our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes, hello, gang. Well, you asked for it. So here we go. First off, a little info to give you my views in this correct space. I'm not a massive Marvel comic reader. I generally read DC, except Daredevil and Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. So the film, well, I found it rather disappointing affair. Mm. It felt like they were mixing 70s style comics with the Ultimate Universe and it just didn't work. 
The script didn't feel strong enough to hold my attention for the film. The CGI was weak. Ultron looked good in some bits and terrible in other scenes. And the end fight just started to look like blobs hitting each other. The acting felt rather inconsistent. It felt like certain actors weren't really bothered to be there. And I didn't think Spader worked as Ultron. So there you go. Some brief thoughts. I now await the Marvel Ninjas to attack me in my sleep. <laughs> Winky face. Best wishes, Ben Rush. Ben, thank you very much. This wouldn't be feedback if, it, if we didn't balance it out, much like the BBC. Um, I think some of these points we have covered already, and I think mm-hmm. it's fair. Some people will find this film disappointing. Yeah. Some people won't be as uh, like us, who are a huge say Avengers Marvel Nick Fury S.H.I.E.L.D. fans Mm -hmm. so they won't get all the little tidbits Um, I think he has some fair points but I think some of us will argue these points but that's what podcasts are about as you said Derek (laughs) yeah I mean I actually coming out of the the cinema on the first uh, look at this and the first viewing of, of this film I would say Maybe I would be in the same area as Ben. I did feel slightly disappointed. I went to see it with Derek, and Derek turned to me after the film, and he said something that immediately put my thoughts into context and maybe why I kind of felt um, a bit less positive about this film than I had done with the first Avengers movie. And Derek kind of said, well, we've be- he mentioned that we had been spoiled of late. You know, we're currently reviewing Daredevil, and we've had... Um, what I think a really fun Ant-Man trailer. We've mm-hmm. had a really moody and brooding um, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice trailer. We've also had two really good Age of Ultron trailers leading up to this film. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes films are, and how they're marketed, is very much this balance of expectation. And to an extent... And it was the point I made about it feeling slightly overloaded. And for me, it just crept over that bar and it worked. Whereas maybe I think for Ben, it probably didn't. Was that there was an awful lot going on on in this film. From character development to the drama of the story. References back. References to films yet to come. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot going on in this film. And I think it probably took the skill of Joss Whedon to balance those in a way where I think, for me, it just about worked. But I can understand why, for some other people, that necessarily wouldn't work. Because there was an awful lot of stuff to get into this movie. And you can see why it was three hours long on first edit. And sometimes edits can take away from from the film. Partly, I think, maybe with Thor's Ragnarok flashbacks... That, to me, didn't feel fully explained. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've briefly mentioned that. But I can understand why he would have those those particular points on, on this film. Um, I certainly did after first viewing. But I think on podcasting here uh, and on reflection, for me, it did get better, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed this film. I liked it. But... You know, I think that's what films are about. If, a, in a sense, an interesting film does have differing views, in this sense, um, you know, good or bad. So, yeah, no, definitely. Thanks for for that feedback. Yeah, ben. yeah. I wonder, like, he, he does mention that the CGI looks terrible in some places. Uh, of and, and Ultron looks inconsistent throughout the film. Like, obviously, I know there's three different phases of Ultron, so there are very different versions of him throughout the film. What do you think of the of the idea of the CGI itself uh, on Ultron? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the pace of it or something. I didn't notice that yeah. 
I didn't notice it. I actually think it could be the three D. Really, right? Yes, because um, the, the nerd in me knows this that if film in cinema screens are not correctly calibrated mm. to the three D, mm-hmm. you do get that. And there's probably a lot of our listeners have seen it when you're on a three D film and the action gets quite fast paced Mm -hmm. and if the focus isn't correct on these um, projectors you do get that blurry kind of um, original 3D running battle where it's like it's too much going on and your brain can't process at that blurred level of pixelation Ben for me I would say give it another shot maybe go see it in 2D now the CGI for me wasn't. It was the, the I, I personally I love the CG. Right. Like the 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 powers of the Maximoff twins was fantastic. Mm. It that that misty aura of red uh, around uh, my, uh, Scarlet Witch and the blue around Quicksilver mm-hmm. just fluid, were well, quite fluid and fell off them. Yeah. That was brilliant. Ultron to me looked amazing. Um, so. And again, he said that he, he was inconsistent. That's because there was three phases of him. Yeah. I, I don't know if they didn't... I think they only explained the second to third. Yeah. They didn't really explain the first to second. That's right. That's right. And now I would, I would say possibly part of my problem with that first opening scene was maybe there was so much CGI going on in that 10 minutes of really quick fighting. Like he, That's definitely not... Uh, Chris Evans throwing a motorbike over his head, for example. Um, so maybe some of that CGI work... It was a little bit subpar, not not a huge amount. You're talking millions of dollars spent on this, so clearly it's it, they they've put the money on screen. But per- perhaps they could have worked a bit better with the CGI that was used in those scenes to uh, to kind of make it a bit more understandable. Those scenes, you know, a bit more easy to follow, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and I understand the point about the end of the film. So much was going on with so many Ultrons attacking, all of the Avengers fighting back. Potentially, some of those scenes were were a bit difficult to follow and just looked like you know a blue blob hitting a green blob a little bit because so much CGI goes on in those scenes. So I can totally understand the point, and we're absolutely not saying Ben that you have to go out and see the film again because you didn't like it. If you didn't no, like it, you I certainly didn't like it. I am. Fine. I'm saying go give it another shot. <laughs> Sorry, I'm saying go give it another Ben. I could take your point about the script in places. Mm. I I think the the one liners and all you know it's great and there's there's thing and. But there, there's certain bits you're going that for all the editing that went on, uh-huh. they left in four different mentions of Captain America saying language at the start. Yeah, I was like, really like the sec two. I was going okay. The third one kind of great. I mean, the fourth one I actually punched the chair. Like, <laughs> I was like, come on, like I know what you mean. Yeah, there was two. There was two running gags that were used in the film, and that that was one of them. That was one that annoyed me. You're right. The the they they bringing it back up to Nick Fury. I think was the fourth yeah, mention of yeah. it. Kind of going, oh, no like, real need what? for that. Yeah. But because it's only a two, it's only a three-hour film. We remember that. It's not like we have goldfish memories. We yeah. don't need to have that reiterated that many times. Sorry, but, can you reiterate that? <laughs> I'll say that again for you. Um, but no, the other the other running gag was uh, was with uh, Quicksilver's character, where he essentially is saying uh, the first line he says of the film. Um, did you not expect that? It, it did yeah. not expect that. Yeah. That gets said again by Hawkeye. Did you not expect that? Then the third time at the end, when he saves the characters, he says, "Did you not expect that?" And you're going, "Yeah, okay, yeah, fine." It doesn't need. It doesn't need. Really yeah, it it doesn't need to be your only line. I'm sure you're a human being. You have a full vocabulary to use. You don't need to use the same lines yeah. over and over again. It didn't feel real. So no. uh, potentially those are a little bit of failings on the right. That would actually work in Infinity War Part One and Part Two. Okay. Because that will be a six-hour film. Absolutely. And yeah. I'll be like, oh, yeah, you remember that thing I said, like, two films ago? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll bring it in. 
That will work. Or it works on TV if a character says something in episode 8 that's referencing something back in episode 1. You do need to remind the, the, the people who are watching the show that 8 hours ago you saw something that, it, that this character said and it plays out now and later on in an episode. But seeing the three of the seven appearances of Quicksilver and he says the same line or the same line is said to him wasn't necessary and was, yeah. wasn't, a, wasn't a great point for the film. Yeah, I think just coming back on the CGI, I mean, part of the reason we went to go and see it in 2D was mm-hmm. because we've had bad experiences of 3D where you've looked at the, the action and it, it's it's just, it's not great. Yeah. Because I, I, I thought the CGI was at, in the film was better than actually from the trailers. There was a moment in one of the trailers where I was looking at Ultron, I think when he's floating towards them with all his Ultrabots uh, uh-huh. behind him, um, oh, you had to say that. I know, <laughs> and uh, and I thought he didn't look very well rendered as a CGI character. Right. But I think as a full CGI character in the film, I thought he was done really well. Um, certainly, so maybe if it was in three D, definitely uh, give, give that a go as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Ben, for your thoughts. Anybody who wants to share their thoughts with us on Avengers Age of Ultron, as I said, can email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. We absolutely accept any negative emails or positive emails. We just want to hear your thoughts, and we'll talk about them on our, on our next episode. Diversity of views is great because it helps put our views in, in context as mm-hmm. well. The one thing I'll end with this on is that if you have some thoughts of how this will tie in to the Defenders Marvel Netflix TV series, mm-hmm. please let us know. I have some thoughts, and we'll share them over the coming episodes. But I want to hear your thoughts on this. How will Age of Ultron affect Marvel Daredevil, which has it? Mm-hmm. We don't know yet. It could be there, people. Or it could true. be, will it affect AKA Jessica Jones and Luke Cage mm-hmm. and the, the Immortal Iron Fist? Will this all take place after the, these shows mm-hmm. or before these shows? Or will we have crossover characters? So please let us know at feedback. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and also anything on Doctor Strange and more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Just send your Doctor Pick Strange. my brains. Anything directly on Doctor Strange, of course, you can always use in addition to feedback at Defenders TV podcast.com you can send it on to john at defenders tv podcast.com yep that includes dr strange fan fiction dr strange artwork anything you want to send on about dr strange send it to john he'll be happy to reply on that note i think we're done for uh, for this very ultra long ultron episode of uh, of defenders tv podcast make sure you listen to us when we come back with uh, daredevil thanks so much for listening thank you so much for listening cheerio thanks everybody bye